So just a warning right now, this is not an episode meant for little ears because things are going to get a little spicy in this conversation. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about the dis, uh, I mean, Respect for Marriage Act that was passed about a month ago. What, you didn't think I wasn't going to cover this? I wanted to wait until after the bill had passed to find out exactly what the law would be. For this episode, I bring Ben Schaefer back on the podcast to break the law down. Because of Ben's legal training as an attorney, I felt like he was the man for the job. We cover what the law says and what it means to Mormons, and more specifically the LDS Church, since the Church threw its weight behind the bill. We then cover how the LDS Church's support of this bill actually seems to walk hand in hand with the physical changes being made to the Salt Lake Temple. To date, I think it is perhaps the most honest conversation I've had on the podcast about all the changes that have happened to the LDS Church. Stick around for a fascinating conversation on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So to be the people we want to be, the type of people that can be a light to others, there are some steps we need to take in order to prepare. Certainly, we need to prepare spiritually. We need to increase in our knowledge of the fullness of the restored gospel. But we cannot overlook the necessity of being prepared physically. Look, I've said on this podcast a few times that I feel hard times are coming our way. We know from early church leaders that being prepared physically will be of the utmost importance. That's why until the 22nd of January, I have partnered with Marcelo Sergiopoulos from Food Storage Depot to give Mormon Renegade podcast listeners a special opportunity to learn from an expert on how to not just survive, but to thrive in any emergency situation. If you go to mormonrenegade.com, you will see a post that says, Emergency Prep Not Just to Survive, But to Thrive. Click on the link on that post for, and for just $17, you're going to get a five-day course that outlines principles and practices to thrive in any emergency scenario. Now, if you want to take your prep game to the next level, you can sign up for the $47 option, which will include an audio-visual recording of the five-day seminar, so you can go back and review. And you'll also receive an extra day at that seminar where you can ask questions to tailor your prep plans to your individual needs. Again, go to mormonrenegade.com, click that link, and get signed up. Prepare now to thrive and be a light to others. Because of your generosity last year, I was able to buy better audio equipment and software. I can't tell you how much it meant to me that not only did you spend your time here with me on the podcast, but also that you found enough value in what I'm doing that you donated the podcast to upgrade it. This year, I want to continue to grow. Now, I want to add video to the podcast to continue to help you my guests, and myself connect better through the show. The other feature I'm working on for this podcast is something I have to remain vague about for now. But what I can say is that it's something that will help us better connect as fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks. Now, to get that equipment for the video content I want to do and to build the infrastructure for the other project with this podcast, donations would certainly be welcome. Or you can go to mormonrenegade.com, click that supply store button, and get some new swag. New stuff will be out soon as well. Now, if you can't afford to do either of those two things, I totally get it. Maybe just keep the podcast in your prayers that we'll be blessed with those resources. Again, thank you for everything you do as well as for listening to the podcast. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. 
Well, welcome back to the Mormon Renegade podcast. So today we're going to be talking with Ben Schaefer. And we're going to start off talking about uh, the disrespect, or excuse me, the Respect for Marriage Act. So if you got kids around, you may want to go ahead and shoo them out of the room because I have a feeling this one could get a little spicy. So Ben, dude, it's good to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be back on the podcast. So real quick, I, I brought you on because because you're trained as an attorney, right? You have your yep. law license. Mm-hmm. And I always find that in these kind of things, nuance plays a big a big role in it. And I typically find that most uh, attorneys, because they're trained to argue, right? Oh, that's, for sure. That's, that's a lot of it. <laughs> they're trained to argue. And so the amount of nuance, I think, is important here. Real quick, break down for us what the Defense of Marriage Act is. Or I shouldn't say the, de- the uh, defense. But, but d- d- don't get me wrong. You're on the right track. The Defense of Marriage Act was the one that was passed during the Clinton years. Right. And the Respect for Marriage Act is the one that just passed. Okay. So under Biden. Well, let's go back even a little bit. Explain a little bit what the Defense of Marriage Act was with Clinton. Was so, yeah, the Defense of Marriage Act, which, you know, was in the 90s. That's getting to be a while ago, right? But I think most of us will agree the 90s don't feel like ancient history yet. No. Um, back in the 90s uh, was really when... Uh, you you saw Lawrence v. Texas, the Supreme Court case that said that homosexual activity could not be criminalized, that, uh, the, that the right to privacy essentially extended to say that homosexuality isn't a criminal act. It's a private act and that people should have the right to have their own privacy. Um, and, of course, the pride movements, pride parades, things like that had already been going on for a while, but they were getting to be... They were getting to be more mainstream, you know. It was it wasn't just a thing that was going on with, uh, say, like the Harvey Milk riots and things like that. It was starting to be um, more of a an issue that people were talking about. People were talking about gay uh, rights and homosexuality more in the public discourse, and so they were really worried that there might be something like gay marriage eventually happen, right? And so in the '90s, they passed the Defense of Marriage Act, which said on a federal level that no marriage would be recognized, no marriage would be valid um, unless it was between a man and a woman. Right. Um, and so, yeah, in the 90s, that it was a big bipartisan-supported thing. I mean, so, for example, it's worth noting that uh, Biden was in favor of it and Biden voted for it um, at the time. Uh, even, even... It was some, under the Clinton administration. Sure, right? sure. I mean, Democrats were very supportive of the Defense of Marriage Act at the time. Um, to say that uh, it would, you know, that they that they wanted to make sure that marriage stayed between a man and a woman and that gay marriage wouldn't be considered. And, and if it was brought up or even attempted by any state or municipality, um, that uh, it would be struck down, essentially overruled by this federal law that would prohibit gay marriage. Um, now, of course, the Respect for Marriage Act is exactly the opposite intention. That we Before we go had, there, I want asked. to touch on one more landmark case because I, I i want to show the progression on this right yeah you went and how from, quick it is yes because because we went from bill clinton you know mr mm-hmm. yeah i'm not totally for gay marriage right i'm not that's not my thing well even even obama right? said said during yeah. his his run for the presidency he was he was opposed yeah. to gay marriage so. yeah no, even obama was yeah like, not my thing not gonna do it. right right and and so <laughs> you, you, we go through there and then in the in in 2008, you really start seeing, or in the early 2000s, you start seeing things pick up momentum Mm -hmm. on that side of the argument, Mm -hmm. right? 2010, 2012, things really start getting... And then in 2015, I believe, Mm -hmm. we have 
the Supreme Court who comes out and says what? The Augerbefell decision. Yes. And they say um, that, and, and it's an interesting reasoning, but they basically make it so that there's federally recognized uh, gay marriage. So even the states that hadn't yet tried to pass their own thing or didn't have their own court, local court decisions that it would have allowed gay marriage, um, the Supreme Court of the United States now says that uh, that's constitutional, that it's constitutional to have gay marriage. Um, by th- th- They'd already overruled parts of it, but, but uh, the Defense of Marriage Act was at that point completely overturned. Um, and, and gay marriage um, became standard in all 50 states and the territories, right? It just became American law. Uh, however, this is exactly what led up to this after that, right? So you've got dissents. Obviously, it wasn't unanimous. Not sure. all the Supreme Court um, people voted in favor of Augerbefell. And one of those who was against it was Clarence Thomas. Well, Clarence Thomas recently had an opportunity with um, the, the abortion case, Right. right. Um, the Dobbs decision. In in the Dobbs decision, um, Clarence Thomas makes an aside, kind of just a comment. Right. It's not law. He just says, you know, maybe we should revisit the Augerfeld decision. In other words, maybe we should reconsider whether or not um, marriage can be defined as including gay marriage. Maybe we should overturn that. Um, basically, he says in his comments, and that made people panic. Because they're thinking, wait a second, if we've got a conservative Supreme Court right now and he's suggesting that they rehear that case, all you need is somebody to bring up some kind of a challenge in front of them and they could overturn uh, that and essentially allow uh, states individually at least um, to outlaw gay marriage again. Okay, so let me recap here and and tell me if I'm wrong. So in the 90s, we had the Defense of Marriage Act, Mm -hmm. which in some ways was a compromise. They basically said, look... We're not going to go prosecute homosexuals anymore for what happens behind closed doors. Right. It'll and, and decriminalization, I, essentially. Right. And, and I think most Americans are okay with that, even conservative Americans. Oh, sure. Right? It's like, look, we don't want the government in our pocketbook or our bedroom. Right. right. So, right. so we're good with this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like a good compromise. And in less, in just about a decade, right? Because if I'm not mistaken, the Defense of Marriage Act was mid 90s, eh, mid to late, yeah, 98, I think it was. So in, in 20 years, we now have a Supreme Court decision that says it's the law of the land, essentially. Gay mm-hmm. marriage is is legal and the law of the land, which to me didn't didn't seem correct because it's my understanding of the Constitution that anything that's not specifically enumerated to the federal government is returned back to quote the people i.e the states so yeah. in, in some in some ways I, I saw a um, a conflict there now in this time I'm mm-hmm. a member of the LDS Church and I remember thinking okay we we can put this to bed right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to touch your stuff. You're not going to touch my stuff sort of a thing between the two parties. Well, this is really, I think, this hits it right on the head as to why this Respect for Marriage Act is a big deal and a big deal to the LDS Church, right? This is why we're talking about the Mormon Renegade podcast, right? This is a Mormon issue now. Um, One of the reasons this is such a Mormon issue um, is because of the fear of the church losing its tax status for having a unconventional opinion, essentially. If, if the government has decided that gay marriage is the law of the land, what happens when you have a church that doesn't have gay marriage in that church? Right. Right. Um, and don't forget, um, again, not super ancient history, but about 40 years ago, uh, 45 years ago, 
uh, Bob Jones University was this important case. And, um, and I personally believe that it would have been the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints case if it hadn't been for Jimmy Carter's visit to, um, to Spencer W. Kimball. Basically, instead of being about marriage, that one was about race. And they were pushing to say, look, if a, if a church or a university or a nonprofit of any kind does not um, accept interracial marriage, then they should be stripped of their tax status. And Bob Jones University and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints were both on the chopping block to become the poster children for a court case where they were going to push um, to essentially strip the strip them of the tax status. Well, the church, of course, in 1978, uh, in June of 1978, comes out with official declaration number two and avoids that, you know, dodges that bullet. But that same year, Bob Jones University does not dodge that bullet. They say, no, we believe that interracial marriage is a sin in the eyes of God, and we are not going to change our doctrine for the government. And so their case gets in front of the Supreme Court by 1980, 1981, and they are stripped of all their assets. Um, and so the concern is, you know, looking at this recent judicial history, what if they do the same thing with gay marriage as they did with interracial marriage? What if the government says, look, any institution, any church, any nonprofit that doesn't have this type of marriage should be stripped of their, t- of their status and, or, or have their assets seized or something like that, right? Um, and so this is why the church obviously why the church is so nervous about this this situation. Um, At some point, they're like, some kind of law is going to be passed saying that you have to respect gay marriage. What are we going to do to avoid that bullet so we don't lose our tax status, so we don't have all of our assets seized uh, when that day comes? And And this is why the church is finding this to be a compromise that they think they can live with. But here's the thing. As I read the bill, Right, mm. the one that was just passed this week, and I've been yep. wanting to talk about this for a while, but I wanted to see what the final bill looked like because you did have right. a few guys like Mike Lee who were mm-hmm. out there saying this doesn't give enough protections to, to be a compromise. Is is right. that your understanding in the reading Honestly, of it as well? Honestly, I don't think it's a great. I don't think it's it is very strong. Um, it's kind of aspirational. Um. It, it does say a few things about um, it, it does say a few things about protecting religious freedoms but it's not like those are kind of toothless parts of the bill mm-hmm. and I think that's the that's the concern is that I'm just not sure that it is um, it, it's possible so here's here's one of the things that the church said about it um, uh, let's see here it was um, Elder Jack Gerard, um, he's, a, he's a 70, um, and he says that uh, one of the reasons why the church was going to support it is he says, he is, is the church's belief that the support of these amendments, and I quote, the support of these amendments will ensure that all religious people and institutions are respected and protected, even though they have a doctrine or practice that's inconsistent with the law of the land. Uh, and by the way, I've got a bone to pick, unquote, I've got a bone to pick with um, uh, using the term "the law of the land" in this context, uh, but we'll save we'll save my libertarian <laughs> ranting for another time. Um, <laughs> but <coughs> excuse me, but I think it's really important to recognize that that was the purpose. Supposedly, that's the reason why the church supported this Respect for Marriage Act. But 
is it really good enough insurance to keep the church out of trouble? And I just don't think it is. Here's what I've noticed, right? We're, we're seeing a pattern here, right? And, and I believe now we're at a point where it's a well-established pattern. Mm-hmm. And one of the other reasons I brought you on, Ben, was to temper me a little bit. Because you describe yourself as an LGBTQ advocate. Uh, ally, ally, I right? think. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, I always like to have someone on who can push back against me. But one of the things I'm finding, and so please correct me if I'm wrong here, is that at first it went from, hey, we just want tolerance and the same freedoms as everybody else has, to right. now the, it seems to be like, no, you're going to go full acceptance of what we are. You don't get to disagree. And so I feel like the LDS church and the the LGBTQ agenda, mm-hmm. and, and I want to be very clear, I don't think this is all, you know, people who identify with that, you know, in that LGBTQ um, grouping, but mm-hmm. I think the vocal ones are playing a very different game than what the LDS church is playing. Right. right. I think the LDS Church is still trying to play nice to preserve their their 501c3 status. They're willing to right. gi- give give up more things on the other on on the LGBTQ side. I think mm-hmm. that they are in a n- no holds barred battle for full complete Control. Control. Yeah. And and I don't think they're playing the same game. Well, and, and really, if you read the Augerbefell decision that granted, that, that recognized nationwide that uh, gay marriage was, would become the law, um, when you read that decision, it's not about people having their own way or just living their own lives. It's all, uh, dignity is a word that comes up again and again in that decision which makes it a very unique and strange Supreme Court decision in some ways for that reason. It talks about how it's about respect. It's about dignity. It's it's about acceptance, right? They're like, we need society to give dignity to homosexual relationships. We need we need society to give respect to these this lifestyle. It's not and which is it's just a whole step beyond your your simple freedom to do as you please, even if I find it disgusting, right? Or you have your right to believe what you want, even if I believe that you're wrong. No, it's a whole step further than that. It's a lot of talk about this dignity and respect, meaning that, no, we want Americans to respect homosexuality as a legitimate choice. How do you do that, though, right? Because let's think about this. We're talking about abstract things like... Other people giving other mm-hmm. people dignity, other people giving people giving other people respect. Those are things that are, are a matter of conscience. Mm-hmm. How do you force that, right? I right. mean, because you're at a point now where <laughs> you, to, you can make it really hard for people to speak in public, right? But it's really hard to force your opinion on anybody, right? And so, that, and, and I agree with you, and and I think that was a lot of what really didn't set well with me in that initial. You know, in that uh, Supreme Court ruling in mm-hmm. 2015, was I'm like, how are you going to do that? What are the mechanisms to force people to do that? And that right. concerns me. Um, obviously, with organizations like the LDS Church, it's real easy. You're either going to do this, or we are going to strip your strip you of your 501c3 mm-hmm. status, which also means that the church's books are going to become a lot more transparent very quickly, which I don't think the LDS Church necessarily wants, 
right? You see certain pressures now Mm -hmm. of what's going on overseas and in places like Australia, where it seems like the church was maybe, uh, I won't say laundering money, but they were certainly giving it the old spit shine, right? Right. And so I think that, that... the church was very much in a place of just trying to, to add concessions, but I, I think in the end game is fairly obvious. Am, am I mm-hmm. wrong in any of that? You know, I think that I think the thing that's tricky is you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> that's that's what this is coming down to. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And sooner or later it seems like something's gonna give. And I feel like the church is probably gonna cave. Um, to these societal pressures eventually. I think that that'll be welcomed by the majority of the members of the church at this point, right? Things I, have I changed think, so think, rapidly. Yeah. And you know, what, what's the next 10 years going to bring? How much more normalized is that going to be? I mean, is it going to be normalized to the point that we just want to change our doctrine to suit uh, what our members already believe, right? And let's face it, the church has done it before. And so they don't sure. necessarily have a problem doing it again, I think. I think mm-hmm. maybe the church's biggest holdup right now is I think there's probably, and, and I'm just speculating, but I'm guessing there's a good percentage of the membership who are old school, right, in terms sure. of, of age and and outlook. And I wonder if it's just the church just trying to outlast those folks, right, wait, for, right. wait until they're in the ground and then this new generation who, let's face it, have, who, they're not going to revolt. Right. Who's been indoctrinated at BYU. Mm-hmm. At BYU, the, even. One of the classic places where the philosophies of men are mingled with scripture. <laughs> right. I believe that's a full degree at BYU. I could be wrong. I'll have to fact check that. Anyway, they're, 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 they just want to outlast that last generation. And then this new generation who has been. Uh, raised with, quote, nuance. It's another great term that I mm-hmm. think often gets conflated with, yeah, what we mean is left thinking, right? Um, right. On, on this on this deal. And so I, I don't think it provides the 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 protections that they say it does. And, and right. the and, church and, has an entire law, a massive law firm in Curtin McConkie who has really good attorneys. And I know because they do. If you ever try to argue land with the LDS church, you're going to lose. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. So (laughs) I know for a fact that these attorneys are very good at what they do. They are. So you can't tell me that that legislation didn't go through Curtin McConkie. That they didn't didn't analyze the the credit out of it. Absolutely. Of, of Dallin H. Oaks, who was a Utah Supreme court judge. Uh huh. And, not know exactly what the end game is of that bill. I think that's true, but I think what they really want the most is a toehold. They want to be able to make their arguments. They don't want to lose their arguments. Uh, you know, the, this Respect for Marriage Act, it actually passed the House over the summer with no protections for religious institutions whatsoever. That's terrifying. And it just didn't pass the Senate yet. And so what it was was that they, they had this, this whole amendment process to get all this stuff in there before it actually became law. And that was that's really where the guys at Kurt McConkie were burning the midnight oil, was trying to figure out what is the best we can get in there, the best foothold we can get in there, because we're, we're going to lose. I think that they knew they were going to lose. But they they were like, we need something in that bill that we can point to to say, hey, hey, you gotta you got to let us have our religion, though. You can't just tell us what our religion is. Um, and yet it still feels pretty toothless to me. I mean, the, the act itself, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to paraphrase here, 
it really what it says is just that you know people can have varying opinions on this this is what the law is this is what the you know the law is going to do this is the way it's going to be in america but people can arrive at a different conclusion for their own private religious beliefs you know in good faith basically right and i remember thinking well that's pretty toothless all you're trying to all you're trying to do is say that we respect people's rights enough to say that some people might disagree and that it's i guess it's okay if they do disagree that's about it, right? And I'm just thinking, like, oh, let's say the Civil Rights Act had said the same thing about racism. Would that have saved Bob Jones University? Right. I don't know. Right. I don't know. And I feel the same way about this. Now, one of the things that the LDS Church has moved in the direction of that is smart is that you can now get sealed in the temple and married civilly in two separate ceremonies. That's a step in the right direction, though. I do think, for their own safety... The church needs to completely cease performing any legal marriage. Right. I think they need they absolutely need to do that unless they want to change their doctrine. And you know what though? I think I think what you're hinting at here, David, is that uh, you're thinking the church probably wants a little pressure so that they can make that move when they're ready. They just don't want to be pushed into it before they're ready. I, I think I think that's exactly what it is. And and it's funny the parallels back to plural marriage on this oh, issue, for sure. right? I honestly think they want to be drugged to this or appear to be drugged to this the same way it appeared they were drugged to giving up plural marriage within the church. Sure. Right? They want to be able to say, look, we we tried, but we got to play nice. And don't forget what it says in the Articles Mm -hmm. of Faith. We believe in being subject to the laws of the land. And and gosh, this is just what we're doing. So I, I think... I think there's a parallel there to be had that they're going to be drugged to this. And I use drug in quotations because I think, <laughs> I think they're going to be like, no, no, I don't want to go. Oh, st- oh, look at that. I'm here. Oh, no. well, what are we going to do? I guess we'll have to stand strong. They'll say, and they'll, they'll say, but we feel so bad for our gay brothers and sisters in the church, not being able to enjoy full temple attendance and, so we've been praying to the Lord for an answer, and His answers come. Yep. We're going to change the temple ordinances or uh, some more, or we're going to have gay ceilings. Or one of those things will probably, it seems inevitable almost with the path that the church is on, that they will go there. Um, I know that a lot of people are saying, that'll never happen. It'll never happen because they'd have to change so much doctrine. Ugh. We'd have to change so much things. But what did they just do? Yeah. In 2019, they already, <laughs> in 2019, they already changed the doctrine. Right. Of the temple regarding yep. gender. Yep. Because they they took out that little portion, and out of respect, I'm not going to say it, but there's a little portion in there that kind of mm-hmm. sets up the family in the patriarchal order, which if mm-hmm. you go back into history and you read what the early brethren had to say, that is the same government as God. Right. right. That God, God's family Patriar- is a patriarchal order. A patriarchal order. By getting rid of just a few sentences... Out of the temple ceremony. Well, these few sentences are an actual covenant. Right. And so that's a significant few sentences. Yes. yes. But, I, you know, for argument's mm-hmm. sake, a few sentences. Yeah. They completely gutted a whole covenant and a whole vital part of that ceremony. And I right. remember when I had this conversation with somebody from the LDS Church mm-hmm. whose father is a member of the first quorum of the 70. Mm-hmm. He said, well... Gosh, some men were using that covenant to be tyrants to their wives. I'm sure there were. And I said, you're right. But Mm -hmm. let me ask you this. 
if people had a tough time living the word of wisdom, would you just get rid of that entirely? And there was right. this great, big, long, uncomfortable pause. <laughs> and he said, I think it's two different things. I was like, yes, they're two different covenants. But. But if anything, I'm sorry, uh, if, I, if I have to go hierarchy here, temple yes. covenants are way higher than than the word of wisdom, which is literally not even given by commandment or constraint, yes, let no. alone by covenant. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I'm just, sh- I'm just showing that <clears throat> yeah. they're willing to get rid of one thing but not necessarily something else. And mm-hmm. the justification they use for one thing isn't right. It doesn't apply to something else. And so I, I find it interesting. And I think my main concern, and I think a lot of members' concern in the LDS church, is that this is simply the gateway drug to having gay ceilings in the temple. Right. And, you know, I think this is why people were so shocked when the church came out vocally in support. Right. It was like, what are you doing? And I think what they were doing is they were accepting the advice of their counsel at Curtin McConkie. This is going to pass. If we do not support some amendment to it, it'll pass without us. And we will have no way of protecting. uh, Well, for example, they even mention in their... um, in their remarks, the LDS Church. In their remarks, they mention that they had to they had to act to protect church schools. So BYU comes into this again, right? They wanted to make sure that the church didn't lose its tax status, that BYU didn't lose its accreditation, that all those things didn't happen. And they were like, "Look, this is going to happen, with or without you. So put something in there that buys us some time, right?" But but yeah, I mean, in the long run, with them dismantling temple ordinances, having to do with basically with gender roles, having to do with um, the idea that there's a difference between male and female. Uh, you know, the, another one that was a real shock to me is that um, I think it was in 2019 as well, but it might have been 2020, um, that they changed the sealing ordinance mm-hmm. so that a woman no longer gives herself to her husband and, and the husband no longer receives her unto himself. Um once again, changing this this balance of male and female, masculine and feminine, yin and yang, right? Um, or yin and yang, as it's actually pronounced. Um, they they're they're doing away with all that doctrine already, right? And if that doctrine disappears, why not have gay temple marriage? If it's if if there's not going to be anything about gender in the ordinance. If the ordinance is going to become genderless, then why would it matter? Right. You know, maybe and, and maybe it doesn't happen all at once. Maybe one of the first things they'll do is they'll say, you know what? Husbands and wives should just be able to sit together anywhere they want in the endowment rooms. Maybe we're not going to do the right hand is masculine and the left hand is feminine uh, balance thing anymore. Right. You know, maybe they'll introduce it in other subtle ways. Um, but little by little, it's it's kind of losing its character about teaching those types of doctrines, teaching those kinds of ideas about how families relate to each other. And once those doctrines are gone, why not change it? Right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't really be a change anymore, right. would it? Yeah. Talk to me about this. Will the church now be on the hook to um, have, like, meet a quota as far as having some, you know, enough staff for LGBTQ representation. Oh, yeah, you know, if you're thinking about like um, affirmative action, affirmative action type stuff, 
I don't think so. You don't think so? It, well, and maybe maybe at the church schools. And that's often where this stuff starts. It wouldn't surprise me if programs like that might not start happening. Um, but generally, those are... Generally, I think that was last year's battles. You know, that's one of the things that's hard in any war strategy is that you want to not be fighting the last war. You want to be fighting the next war right. so that you're ready. I think that that kind of affirmative action and quotas and stuff like that, um, all the fallout from that means that it's probably not the major strategy this time around. Okay. Um, but, you know, it is already a big deal at BYU, um, at least having, um, a, you know, LGBTQ clubs. Um, more representation on campus, things like that. It might not be a quota, but there's definitely definitely pushback on campus, right? And that's often, like I said, that's often where it starts. So, yeah, that really could be uh, one of the places that pressure is put on the church. And I think that uh, another big thing could, could be possibly losing their accreditation or losing their educational or nonprofit status um, because their policy is viewed as being discriminatory. Right. I have a good friend that I talk to quite frequently who is damn near fundamentalist. He's still in the LDS church, but he's... Well, you can be a fundamentalist and still be in the mainstream LDS church, right? All that means is that you believe in the fundamentals. Right, exactly. <laughs> he, we, we have these conversations quite frequently, and he mm-hmm. we, we agree on a number of things. And one of the things that, that we talked about was the fact that this is in dribs and drabs, right? And and it's like you were saying, is that at some point the scale is tipped and you never see it tipping. You right. never it, see it tipping. It kind of sneaks up on you. <clears throat> now, you know, I, I feel kind of... Uh, I feel kind of upset, really, when I look at past generations that I'm like, well, they should have known better. They knew about this stuff. Why aren't they speaking out? I'll admit, I've got uh, I've got some negative feelings towards uh, members of the church in their 70s because I see how much has changed since the 1960s mm-hmm. in the church. And looking at the massive overhaul, I would say evisceration, of the LDS endowment ceremony since that time, um, particularly in 78, the mid-80s, 1990, uh, 2003, and it's like, look, I understand if you only got your endowments in 2002 and you barely remember that there was something different in 2003 and then something else changed in 2019, and it all just feels fairly recent, like not that big of a deal. But if you were endowed in the early 1970s or mid-1970s... Or even just prior 1990s. Or even prior 1990, it's so, it's so much... I mean, we're not talking about just small things. We're talking about losing huge volumes of esoteric knowledge, symbolism, covenants, uh, entire explanations that make the the dialogue itself make more sense. I mean, like right now, even just the dialogue is almost right. nonsensical because it's so chopped up. Um, and and then I and, and so I look at that and I think. Where, why is it that we've got a bunch of people in their 70s sitting in the temple as temple workers going along with this stuff? They're the ones who should have rioted. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. We know that the church is mindful of its membership in terms of mm-hmm. how they're feeling. Let's just go back. Let's jump in the time machine and let's go way, way, way back to like a year ago. <laughs> okay, just one year ago. <laughs> Let's go back a year ago. I know mm-hmm. it's an ancient history, but one year mm-hmm. ago. The church comes out and says, hey, we're renovating all the old pioneer temples. So Salt Lake mm-hmm. is on that list. Um, Manti. Manti is on that mm-hmm. list. 
Now, Salt Lake was like, oh, whatever. Okay. Well, <laughs> but the... Only sort of. Right. Okay. I mean, the, one of the things that I thought was interesting was they came out with like a hundred page book about exactly what they were going to do to restore the Salt Lake Temple. And exactly how they were going to make sure that everything was preserved in its most original way and all kinds of way they published. And so that's why I think people were like, oh, it's fine with Salt Lake because this is going to be magnificent. If you have kids around earmuffs, I call bullshit. And uh-huh. let me tell you why I call bullshit. Because I worked on that temple during the re- renovation. And this is something I mm-hmm. haven't ever shared on the podcast before. And I want to be very clear on this. I want to be so crystal clear that nobody can un- can can be mistaken here. This was not simply a renovation to make things more expedient. Okay. Also, that or hundred- or to restore things to their original or anything right. like that. Right. No. Here's the other thing: that hundred pages that you read has since been superseded by the first presidency. Three times. They've thrown out the plan and made a new plan three times? The reason that that project is so far behind, and it is two years behind as of right now. Is because they keep changing their mind. Because they keep changing their mind. Oh, my gosh. What happens is is they feel like, and, and this is classic maneuvering. They want to crank as many people through that temple as possible. Well, right, because one of the things I remember thinking was interesting is that they're putting in a second baptistry. And I thought, why do they need two fonts? I guess the idea is they want to drive a lot of traffic to there. To there. Yep. Okay. So, now, now, they changed before it you three go, times. Before you get into the details, though, I want to ask you, um, just to set some groundwork for your listeners. So, I guess I'm the interviewer now. Yeah, yeah. Now you get to now, turn the tell tables. Tell me. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you do for a living and how you got involved. and What is it that you really know? Because if they keep changing the plan, most people have no idea what's going on, I'm sure. How is it that, how is it that you know what's going on? So I'm a land surveyor. Okay. Okay. At the time, I was working for a subcontractor mm-hmm. that was doing some work on the temple. Okay, right, okay. because they have to know where to lay things out they in order have to, to know dig where to and lay things build out. and things stuff like, like that, right? HVAC and plumbing and that sort of stuff. Okay. okay. So I got to see the plans. And the actual plans. I got to see the plans. Wow. And I started to see all the stuff they had planned for it. And then the addendums would come out. So in my line of work, anytime mm-hmm. there's an addendum, we call it a change order. It comes in. Sure. We say, does this affect our overall cost? Most of the time mm-hmm. as a surveyor, it doesn't. You don't care, right? It's normally pretty close mm-hmm. to the same amount of locations you planned on staking anyway. Sure. They, they might be changing the plumbing, but the walls are still going to be there. Right. So exactly. Kind of yeah. So we get those addendums. Well, because I have a Mormon background, I was very interested to see what was in those. Sure. And so what I noticed first was is that they're doing away with live sessions. Okay, and for, that's a big change. That's a huge change. Okay, and and for anybody who's never been through a live session in Manti or Salt Lake, which I believe are the only two left that are those doing live were sessions. the only two, and they're closed now, so they're right. done. There are no more live sessions. I believe Manti is going to stay live. No, Manti is not going to be reopened at this point. The news was that in in, in lieu of tearing it, in lieu of more or less demolishing the interior of the Manti Temple, they're building a a new temple 
and for Ephraim. the for modern uh, um, purposes in Ephraim, and there are no plans to reopen the Manti Temple right now. That is well, I'll have to double check on that because I, I I have a listener, very quiet on the name, who might uh, know a few, thing who, or two, who, who who thought that they were going to reopen it and they were just going to have an additional one in Manti to accommodate uh, in Ephraim, yeah. In Ephraim, mm-hmm. excuse me, to accommodate the, uh, the 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 added population, so they'd have two temples, Ephraim and Manti. I could be wrong. I'll double check on that. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> the first thing I noticed was is that the live sessions were going away. And for anyone who hasn't been through Manti or Salt Lake prior to its closing, it was a slower ceremony. Because mm-hmm. there was a lot of movement. You would go into a creation room and then you would go talk into, about the creation yep, in that room. And, yep. And then you would go mm-hmm. into the, the garden room and then you would go up into the levels. Now they're getting rid of that. So no longer will it be that way. Now you're going to have, think of Provo, right? Where you have mm-hmm. seven or eight, quote, instruction rooms where the mm-hmm. video will be presented. Now, Oh, by the way, I've got two things to say on that. Sorry to stop you. One, don't forget, Provo Temple is slated for demolition. They're Mm going to build an entirely different temple on that hill. They're going to completely tear down the old Provo Temple. So that's a shock to a lot of people, too. Though fewer people are attached to it because of the 60s, 70s modernist architecture that they used when they built it. The fact it it looks like a cupcake with a candle on it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's supposed to be like the cloud and the pillar of fire. But anyway, uh, so there's some people who are attached to it, and I'm sorry um, for them, but I think there's not going to get much pushback to demolishing it because people aren't as attached to it. Right. Some people are, and I feel bad for them. But but the other thing that I want to point out is that a live session, right? In Christchurch, we only do live sessions. There's no Mm -hmm. film. And... Why is that? And I think having having experienced as a temple worker, both in the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and in Christ Church, I think one of the greatest contrasts for me... Oh, by the way, I've done live sessions in the mainstream LDS Church as well, um, uh, as I was in Manti and in Salt Lake. Uh, but I think that one of the biggest differences is participation. When you are part of a participatory act... When you are engaging with the ritual, when you are walking through the ritual, when you are Adam or you are Eve, you internalize and you experience something spiritual, transformative, powerful at a much different level. It's very visceral. You're taking upon yourself these covenants because you have found yourself in the lone and dreary world and you want to know what it means to overcome sin and death and all of that through the power of Christ. You want to know what it means to come to the veil of God and be called forth to hear the gavel, the hammer, strike. This is the judgment time. And go forth and actually participate in that ritual. It's, it's such a powerful thing when it's, when it's a live session, they, ca- they call it now. But a film session, what's that? It's a movie? Like... You become a spectator. You become a mere spectator. Are you a spectator in your own life? Are you a spectator in your own story? Right? I don't think that religion is very powerful if it's a spectator sport. No. Religion is participatory. It's, It's something that you're supposed to be doing because it matters to you. Right? Not just because you're like, oh, I don't know. I'll leave it to the professionals. Right. You know, and, and, and so I feel like that's that they were already had lost something so vital to the temple experience when they were when they moved almost everything to these film sessions. Anyway, right. I even heard a joke. Uh, they were like, uh, 
You must be. You might be a Mormon if you think a rerun movie in a cafeteria meal is a good date. Right. <laughs> I've heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Anyway, they. <clears throat> so I'm gonna make this real personal. It's this is something I try never to do on the podcast because I don't necessarily want it to be about me, but I feel that it is. I always try not to make it about me. I feel like it's super important, but I don't think I can do justice to this without making it personal so we had to go into the temple and set what is called control which is known geographical locations right on a cartesian mm-hmm. coordinate system that you can come back to again and again and again right so you're, you're setting up these points so you know where the the new lines are going to be right, drawn right. based on where something it's, is it's so we can set our equipment on that known point have a basis mm-hmm. of bearing and then angular with angles and distances, lay out appropriate points. Okay. When I was in there, I saw them taking down the murals. And I knew what was coming. And now by this time, I'm a fundamentalist. So I, I, I didn't think it would be as hard for me as what it was. Right, because if the LDS church is already not doing it by the same authority, or if they're not doing the same ceremony, maybe it's not right. I, I as didn't. Bad. I didn't think I would have the visceral response I had. But I, I'm going to admit a few more things here. This is a temple that I went to shortly after I was endowed, me and my wife, because I wanted to experience it. And what I will tell you is that there was a residue that was left over. Despite the church's best efforts to get rid of anything Adam, God, plural marriage, whatever. I didn't know what it was, but there was a residue left over in that temple. Sure. And All I those could, generations yes, of fullness, loving, yes. polygamous families that were sealed in that temple. Yes. I, you could feel mm-hmm. it. It was palpable. Now, this is going to make the LDS church cringe, and I apologize. But I also, when I lived plural marriage the first time, and we didn't know where to go, mm-hmm. I took both of my wives through that temple. Sure. I had very spiritual experiences in that temple. As I sat there and watched the renovation happen. When you say renovation... I shouldn't what, say renovation. What the, happened there? The deconsecration of that temple. Not just deconsecration. The abomination of desolation, and I don't use that term lightly. I wept. And I had to find a place, because you don't want other construction workers seeing that you're crying. That's, that's, yeah, that's a no-go. But I just sat and watched from afar. And I wept. Because I knew that it wasn't coming back. And I knew that they were trying so desperately to get away from anything that was pioneer era anything that spoke to the miraculous about mormonism anything that had to do with anything anything that made the gospel unique as opposed to any other protestant religion and i'm not slamming protestant religions but it was unique and i wept and i begged god why am i here i felt guilty for being there and being a part of that And in that prayer, I remember I got a very solid answer. And it was a very clear answer. One was, take comfort. It's okay. I understand. I know what's happening. Two, you have to bear witness. 
you have to understand what they're doing and you have to shoulder that load. And when the time is right, you have to tell people what is happening. Apparently that's tonight. Make no doubt, make no misunderstanding about this. This is a cataclysmic sea change for the LDS church. If you look at what they're doing, not just to the Salt Lake Temple, but to every subsequent temple that's being built, they are doing things which may not necessarily be doctrinally wrong, but, but they're important. And let me explain. It's going to seem silly on the surface, but if you look at all the new temples that are being built, Orm, right down the road from me, mm -hmm. there won't be an angel Moroni on that temple. Right. There won't be on any new temple. <clears throat> Why? Because they're trying to get away from anything having to do with miracles and um, visitations. If you or anything that makes Mormonism distinct, that makes Mormonism distinct. I've talked to a good buddy who's a devout LDS guy, and I love him and I respect him. But I've made this point to him before, and I've said this on the podcast. This is the new Coke of Mormonism. You are now getting a new formula, and it's going to taste so bad you're going to want to lick your own armpit to get the taste out of your mouth. But It's funny when you put it that way. It's the truth. <laughs> it's absolutely the truth. When this is all over, and again, this isn't a slam on Protestantism, we will be another Protestant church with really fancy buildings. Now, That's it. Now, here's the question I have, and I'm sorry to have to ask, but what are they doing? To the Salt Lake Temple? They are taking out all the historical murals. Those murals have been there. Are they just painting them over? Or? No. They are removing them. They're changing walls. They're changing the inside layout. So, I mean, like, the creation room isn't the creation Gone. room anymore? The garden room? Gone. The celestial room? That will still remain, but it's going to be modernized. Think of any other... It'll still maintain its mostly its shape, but it okay. will be it will be somewhat uh, different because they're gonna if if uh -huh. and, so and, will, and, and, will there and, only be a veil on the one side like there is now? No, or I think was? I think I, I think they're moving the celestial room, but they're trying to like keep the stairs and stuff. That's the last incarnation I saw. This could all be outdated information too. Keep that in mind, right? But wait, they were gonna like move the stairs. Yeah, they were going to move the stairs. They're trying to keep as much Pioneer woodwork, but the murals are gone. Um, it's completely different. And so what you're going to have, again, I'm going back to Provo. Mm -hmm. Think of Provo where you have seven to eight. And, Did, and, and I, that number could be wrong. But a bunch, of, a bunch of individual small instruction rooms of yes. some kind that will then funnel into the celestial, uh, a celestial exactly. room. Exactly. Now as the Salt Lake Temple sits, the same with Manti. It used to be this way in St. George. You used to have the ceiling rooms that were just off to the side of the celestial room. Right. And that was done intentionally because they were showing how important celestial marriage was. Right. And that it's and that it's and that it's essentially it's, it's because it's the order of God's family, this right. patriarchal celestial plural marriage, this uh, patriarchal marriage, this celestial order of marriage, the new and everlasting covenant, all that stuff, right? They were trying to say, look, this is part of the celestial law. Yes. Yep. They, those won't spill out any longer into the celestial room. 
Here's a tough one. Um, and any word on the Holy of Holies? That's next to the Celestial. Right? <laughs> so as far as I know, it was gutted. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> and again, this could be wrong. Because keep in mind, the reason that they're behind schedule is they keep changing the plans. They keep getting into things and like, well, let's do this. The one thing I'm going to give... Right, them- but if you rip the walls out of the Holy of Holies, it's not a room anymore. Right. Right. It's now, not the Holy of Holies anymore. I would dare to say that they'll put in a new one. But what it is, I have no idea. And what they'll use it for. Right. Oh, and then again, who knows what they've been using it for in a long time. I, right, right. I thought it was interesting. 1945, um, Richards, I think it was, was concerned because they'd stopped doing all of the second endowments. they yes. stopped doing all of that. And he wanted to keep that revived. And so they did that for a bunch of the general authorities in 1945. And then it wasn't until the 80s that they were like, yep. oh, my goodness, there's only like five or six people left who even know what it is. Should we do that for a few more people? And, um, you know, and that's when essentially now you have a culture of some of the apostles have really wanted have tried to bring that back. So they'll use us. Uh, they'll, they'll have a closet sometimes in one of the ceiling rooms where they'll have some uh, wash basin to, for the washing of feet and a few things like that set aside. But, I mean, it's it's clearly not something that the regular membership is even aware of or has access to. But it's it's like um, something the general authorities will try to practice now again. But it's still different. It's still well, so changed, just like yeah. the other ordinances. And they, and that's such a long gap. They basically completely forgot how to do it. Right. In well, the LDS and, church. And the other thing is, is that it's not like that ordinance in the LDS church is available to the bulk membership of the church. No, no. You've got to you've got to be a general authority or know a general authority, basically, or, you know, or know someone who knows a general authority. And then they kind of pass it around like it's a favor or something. To exactly. Earn. So there there yeah. very much is a level of aristocracy already built into that. Sure. Um, but when you go back into the Salt Lake Temple. It will not be anything that you 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 remember seeing, at all. Um, and as of late, I think you can still find it. The church has even put out renderings of what it's going to look like on the inside now. Oh, really? And it's not what you remember, whatsoever. You know, I'm reminded of another miracle that happened there. Um, there was a time when Lorenzo Snow saw Jesus Christ. And if you know where the, um, as you come out of the celestial room, or as you're approaching the celestial room from, say, when you go up the stairs from the garden room into the terrestrial room, um, you will, uh, out of the, or where the lone and dreary world room and the terrestrial room are, there's kind of a hallway and a staircase and that connects to the, um, mm-hmm. the celestial room. Lorenzo Snow saw Christ there. And I remember that being a really powerful vision to read about. Right. Um, and it makes me wonder if they tore out the place where Christ himself stood. Probably. And to me, that just seems... I mean, it's not, it's worse than blasphemy. I mean, what would you do if someone said, oh, let's destroy the Temple Mount. Let's, let's, um, let's bulldoze the Garden Tomb. Let's... Let's pave over Bethlehem. It's like, it's like that song, you know, I walked today where Jesus walked and right. felt his presence there. I, I believe that the presence of God has a sanctifying power. 
when you touch a leper, you become unclean. But Jesus, it's the other way around. When Jesus touches a leper, Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. Right. Right. And I feel like that's the way it is. This mortal world, we're all subject to this telestial world. We, we, we live, we die, we suffer. Sickness and old age slowly creep up on us. But God's the opposite. When God's somewhere, it becomes better. Right. It doesn't age. No. It, it heads in the other direction. Yes. It becomes holy. It becomes sanctified. The idea that you would take something as sacred as the ground, the sacred ground upon which Christ himself has stood and treat it like garbage and throw it away. And that that seems to be what is happening. I, I was trying to look up these these renovation changes now, and I'm, I'm having a hard time bringing them up. But I tell you what, when they open that up, I'm tempted. First of all, I kind of want to see for myself. But if I see what I, it sounds to me like you're saying, we're going to see if we go to that temple open house when the time comes, it's going to be heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's heartbreaking to that extent, how on earth are they going to even hold an open house? You know what I mean? I, I, I'd be tempted to just weep in line and I'd be tempted to just lash out maybe you know what i mean i'd want to i'd want to pick it or yeah. something to be like look what you have done yeah this is how bad it has been is that i know that there were people who weren't even mormon who were appalled at the disrespect at, at the yeah. fact that they would do it so and again i want to make perfectly clear that these plans are subject to change because they've been changed three times a day. Well, it seems to me like that's not good news. That sounds like bad news. It means that well, to be, it could to get be, worse and worse. To, that's true. To be fair, they could they could say, you know what, this isn't going the way we want. You know, and maybe maybe run it back a little bit. Run it back a little bit, right? I'll have to continue to look, but I'll I'll see if I can't find some some renderings of what that's supposed to look like. But make no doubt about it. This is a seed change. This is this is one of those cataclysmic mom- moments in Mormon history where you understand that the church is changing its identity. Yeah. And and that's going to continue I I fear until until it's not there. But let's go back to what we were just talking about with the Defense of Marriage Act, right? Or or mm-hmm. the Respect for Marriage Act, excuse me. Is that they know a sea change is coming, whether they want it or not, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. Because that's that's the only reason why I think the church would, would step out and say, we're going to support this so long as you do the amendments we want. So I think they already know that cataclysmic change is coming. Mm-hmm. And I think they feel like we either get to at least guide it a little bit. At least we get to have a voice. Right. Or, or we get our 501c3 status ripped away. And unfortunately... Yeah. And, and again, I, I apologize to anyone out there who's LDS because I know this is hard to hear. You're talking to a guy who had two wives and still tried to make the LDS church work because I couldn't find somewhere else to go. Well, because I, we I, love the church, right? I, this is our people. I, I did the mental gym. Dude, if mental gymnastics was a... Uh, Olympic sport, I'd have taken gold in those years. <laughs> I was good at it. Okay? So I know this is hard to hear. But the truth is, is that it it's not what you remember even 20 years ago. I came into the LDS church in 1995. Okay? Mm-hmm. So in 
2015, I can promise you, it looks nothing like what it did in 1995. Well, and in 1995, didn't look much like 1970. Right? And 1970 didn't look much like 1870, let me tell you. And, and this <laughs> At is, least not doctrinally. And, and this is where it comes back on on us as members, right? And I say us because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think... All of us are in that Mormon we're all, family. We're right. all a bunch of Mormons. You know, I know that like the community of Christ doesn't use the term Mormon, and a few of these other Eastern ger- don't use the term Mormon. We're all Mormons. We're all Mormons. Everybody who has anything to do with the LDS movement, anybody who's ever heard of the Book of Mormon, they're, they're Mormons. Right. But we, we, uh, we, we tend to be surprised when this happens. And yeah. the truth is we shouldn't be anymore. We shouldn't be. We should yeah. look at this. We should see this coming. We should, yeah. The, this is totally, totally a a uh, car blanc, right? I mean, it's predictable. It's predictable. We know exactly where it's going. We know exactly where it's heading. We just don't want to see it. We just don't want to talk about it because if we do, we are forced to ask very uncomfortable questions and questions we don't want to contend with. Let me give mm-hmm. you an example. There's only one man. I know of for sure who figured out I was living plural marriage at one point while going to the LDS <laughs> church. And he was an older guy. Mm-hmm. And he walked in and he said, I was, I was in the can taking a leak of all places. Sure. And he walked in and he said, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm taking a leak. Oh. You know, that's what I'm doing. In yeah. the church bathroom, right? Right. He goes, no, 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 no. He's like, don't be coy with me, son. I know what you're doing. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I was like, we can go to the bishop's office right now. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't want to go to the bishop's office. I said, why not? And he said, because you're an elders quorum president who's getting a ton of results. And I feel the spirit when you teach. And if you're doing this and I feel the spirit when you teach and you have a good spirit about you, which I feel... I'm forced to ask some very uncomfortable questions that I don't want to ask. Right. And because, I think we're there in this same thing collectively, right? Mm-hmm. Where maybe maybe you have to say, well, wait a second. Maybe it's not that God is wrong or that God changed his mind. It's that the church just changed without God. Yes. And that's a very uncomfortable place to be. I mean, look. I obviously made it work for a number of years. I'm sure other people mm-hmm. have done it for quite a while if they're not in dire circumstances such as I mm-hmm. was. But but make no account. I mean, make no, no mistake. Um, mistake about it. There's a reckoning that has to be had yeah. and in this life or the next. You know, and I have to say, it is hard to live a double life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, was a, I was a seminary teacher. I was a CES teacher. For the church, and a seventy in Christ Church for a while, oh, not wow. very long, but a little while, and um, you know I was so I was in both, and I'm sure that the church uh, that's why the church came down on me later was that they were upset about that overlap I'm sure because they were concerned about what maybe I was teaching the students of course I was still teaching the curriculum, right? Um, the curriculum was mostly good at least at the time I'll admit I'm not so happy about doctrinal mastery instead of scripture mastery I think sequential scripture teaching was our motto at CES for decades and the whole idea was to teach people the scriptures 
so they could really know the scripture. And now they've switched it all to doctrinal mastery, and it, and basically it's just all watered down now. Doctrine's easier to change. Doctrine's easy to change. You can cherry pick whatever you want, and then the kids don't really learn the scriptures. But at least at the time, the curriculum wasn't bad. Um, I spent a lot of, my, you know, so I really didn't actually go outside the curriculum, even when I was in both churches. But it's still, it was such a weight on me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really hard if you feel like you can't fully express who you are. You can't oh, fully absolutely. tell people. You can be like, well, I can tell you this, but I can't tell you that. And you have to kind of compartmentalize. It's it's a type of stress nobody needs in their life. People should be who they are. And I guess this is what, I, ironically, this is kind of why I was saying I, I'm trying to be a good LGBTQ ally sometimes. Because nobody should have to live a double life not being who they are. Sometimes you just got to embrace if this is what you've chosen, or if this is what you are doing, or if this is what you are, you just have to be yourself. It, it, it's, it'll kill you to try to lie right. about it and pretend one thing, but actually do another. You know, and here's the thing. I think, and this is where I'm willing to meet people halfway, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have, look, I had gay neighbors for a long time. Mm-hmm. Great. They were good they were fine people. I didn't yep. have an issue. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. They lived a different lifestyle than I could. But you know what? We can hug it you out. You can be neighbors. Just not on Sundays. Right? <laughs> <laughs> sort of a thing, right? Where, where you're like, look, here, here's the deal, man. I'm I'm willing to, mm-hmm. to, to stand up for your rights. Right? Right. Well, will, that's an important thing. I will be there with you mm-hmm. if... If, if, you know, someone is trampling your rights, I will stand for your rights because they're coming for you right now, but maybe someday they're going to come for me. Well, and that's the thing about rights, you know, that people often get wrong, that people often don't understand is that rights are only there to protect you when you're wrong. They're not there to protect you when you're, when everyone agrees with you. Rights are only there to protect the minority. The majority doesn't need the protection. Right. The reason why rights exist is to say... You are allowed to do whatever you want, even when you're wrong, to do whatever you want or say whatever you want, even when I disagree with it, even when I find it disgusting, even when I hate it, even when I think that you're being self-destructive, you have the right to do it. And that's what rights are all about. Every one of the Bill of Rights is made to protect minority, dissenting, often wrong voices and actions and ideas. That's what it's there for. I've often said, I've often heard it said, and I, I agree with it totally. The the speech that needs protecting the most is the speech you can can't even stand. Right, because if it was something you agreed with, it doesn't need protection. No, it, the reason why with the First Amendment protects speech is to protect speech that you think is awful. Right, speech so bad you would try to stop them. And then the First Amendment is there to step in and say, guess what? No, you can't stop them. They can say whatever they want, no matter how offensive you think it is. Right. That's what the First Amendment's for. Right. And 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 I view the these these uh, set of circumstances the same way. Absolutely. Right? I don't want anyone forced to go to the church I attend. I don't. Right. That, I mean, it, it, it's poisonous to both church and state. Yes. To mix yes. the two. You I, really cannot I don't, mix the two. I don't want anyone forced to to bow to a standard mm-hmm. that they're uncomfortable bowing to. It's not my place. Mm-hmm. But 
the other side seems to be, or at least the vocal side, side mm-hmm. of that argument, seems to be okay with this idea of we'll drag you to the standard. You're going to bow the knee. Right. Well, and that's kind of the, that's the tension between, you know, authoritarianism and freedom mm-hmm. that's always existed. And a lot of times when people think they're right, they think everybody else has to bow the knee and accept that they are right. Yep. They don't want that dissent. And it's a very dangerous game when that gets started. And I feel like th- that's the way it's been with a lot of things. You know, this um, Respect for Marriage Act, uh, one of the things it does is it actually um, also says interracial marriage. It doesn't just mention gay marriage. It also mentions interracial marriage as being something that states cannot prohibit, that are fully recognized by the federal government, and that the federal government is saying that the states have to recognize each other's acts on that regard. And, you know, it really wasn't even that many years before that, that Loving v. Virginia was the yep. case that said interracial marriage can be, um, cannot be outlawed. Um, so, you know, uh, those, those rights, though, doesn't mean it's for you. Right. right? Um, and, and this is, this is a compromise that I think we all need to be okay with is it's like, um, so long as gay marriage is for gay people, you know, they say if you don't like gay marriage, don't have one. Right. If you don't like gay marriage, don't get don't get gay married. Right. Right? Um, but let other people do whatever they want. And I, I fully support that reasoning. The thing that really does worry me, and of course is causing sleepless nights at Curtin McConkie, is what happens if they say any institution that prohibits those marriages is going to lose their tax status. You know, me, me and that same guy I told you about who's a devout member of the LDS Church. We've had the conversation that probably what should have happened was mm-hmm. a circling of the wagons, right? An understanding of, hey, we're going to lose this 501c3 status. Understand, we're going to have to go back to the days of, of budget assessment. We're going to have to go back to where we all pitched in a little bit more, but we'll preserve the truth. We'll preserve the truth as we understand it. And... Mm-hmm. Instead, what was done was what we see happening. Well, I guess now. it depends on who your God is, right? Right. Is your God the type of God that uh, is comfortable being um, being a renegade, being outside the norm? Is your God the type of God who stands for the truth no matter what, never changes? Or is your God the dollar, frankly? Right. You know. And and I tell you what, um, the church. If the church were to try to um, Say you know what doesn't matter. We'll give up our tax status. We're going to stand with stand on principle in some way against that. Boy, howdy, have they are they not set up well for that right now? So back in the 1880s, right when the church was having all of its property confiscated by the feds um, over the plural marriage, Edmunds Tucker, yeah, you know, um, they the church was there for, at that time saying, okay, I guess we'll have to divest ourselves of a lot of things, you know. Um, we'll just have to keep a few core things like the temples. And then Wilfred Woodruff was told, oh, no, no, no. The temples is what we're coming for first. We're going to take everything. You know, and that's what got Wilfred Woodruff just so terrified. He's like, you're not going to leave us a scrap. You're not going to leave us anything. We're not going to leave us even our most sacred sites. We can't even worship at all. And those marshals are like, oh, heck no. You're not going to have a not going to have a single spot on earth that you're allowed to stand. We're going to take everything. Um, you know they tried to circle the wagons a bit at that time, right? 
Um, and that's what the Mormon underground was all about. A whole network of people just trying to get by and live their lives and, and escape um, the persecution. But the church has done exactly the opposite since. They've invested, especially since Heber J. Grant, they have invested massively, heavily, constantly in these other systems out in the world. Uh, we talk about how the church has a lot of money with you know over $100 billion in investments. Those investments could disappear real fast because they're only on paper. Right. They're not tangible assets. And then you say, well, what about the tangible assets? Well, actually, that's almost a bigger problem because the LDS church owns more land than any other landowner in the world, I think. And especially in the United States, it's a lot of land. I mean, I forget how much of the state of Florida is owned by the church Some was one of them that was famous. Amount. You know what I mean? Because we're talking like a million square miles or something. We're talking an incomprehensibly large amount of land holdings. Well, the church, in most cases, doesn't pay any Mm-mm. property tax on None. any of that. I worked I worked in a recorder's There's office. There's a couple for a of while. exceptions, but generally no, they don't pay any. I worked in a recorder's office for a while. Mm-hmm. Almost all of it is tax exempt. Doesn't even get a serial number. Right? Oh my goodness. Because doesn't even get a tax ID number. Yeah, it's, it's just like sorry, that's that's not going to be taxed, right. right? So here's the thing: they lose their tax status. It isn't about you, you'd think. Oh, it's just about pitching in a little extra. No, it is not about um, us having to pay a little bit more for the things that we enjoy. It's about losing properties and losing assets on the scales of billions and billions of dollars. And I think they don't know how to handle it. And frankly, uh, frankly, I think I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for that. Because part of what annoys me is that they have all these resources and they're not using them for the benefit of the poor, the needy. They're not using these massive resources to truly improve the world. And, and to me, that's what Mormonism is all about. Isn't that what Mormonism was from the very beginning was changing the world, mm-hmm. building Zion, right? It was about a bunch of people who lost everything but said, we're going to build a city in the desert until we build the celestial kingdom on the earth. You know, that was the point. And so the idea that the church has a bunch of assets and that the church members aren't living these higher lifestyles. What about the gathering of Israel? We're not gathering anybody. What about building the city of New Jerusalem? With hundreds of billions of dollars and these land holdings and other assets all over the world, I mean, I don't know how much it adds up to, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's if it isn't in excess of a trillion dollars worth of total value. It probably is. Um, why couldn't you move ten or fifteen or twenty million people to Jackson County, Missouri, and build a city that would wow that that would shock the nations? Why not do that? Because that's what our doctrine is, right? But instead, they're just sitting on it. You know. Put the earmuffs back on the kids. You know, they say karma's a bitch. Right. Okay? <laughs> and I'm telling you, the church is just not building good karma with this. Right. Uh, right now. Um, if they're going to hold on to this this treasure like a miser, they're going to lose it. Oh, right? Yeah. This is the way it always happens. Uh, they have, might have resources right now, but if they don't start using it for what is good... They will, they will find these treasures to be very slippery, as it says, as it prophesies in the Book of Mormon. Absolutely. And so when I say this, I'm, I guess I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm saying a prophecy here. The LDS Church may seem rich. It may seem powerful. But if they don't do as the Lord commanded them to do with those resources, 
if they don't begin to repent, they'll lose it. They'll lose right. it all. I, I don't know when, but they will. One of the best things I ever heard was a guy I work with now mm-hmm. who was a guy who served a mission. He was in a bishopric, and then he just went inactive. <clears throat> and when I asked him what his breaking... And that seems strange because you're like, wait, you're in the bishopric. Why are you suddenly going inactive? Right. When I mm-hmm. asked him what his reasoning was, he said, I went inactive when I saw City Creek. Right, because they spent like... Five, six billion dollars of tithing money on that. But five or six billion dollars, again, is a drop in the bucket compared to the assets they have. And I asked him, I said, why did that bother you so bad? Yeah. And he said, as I look, he said, one is, is that I served a mission where people were in the Philippines, where people were oh, yeah. devastatingly poor. Sure. Devastatingly poor. And he said, when I saw that, my stomach turned and the words that came to my mind is behold the great and spacious building. Oh no! I was like, yeah. you, you, they built it, and Basically, I was like, that's right? that's pretty fitting. They built a great you know, spacious building across the street. I mean, right? And and basically, it's a whole development project for all of downtown, right? But yep. but even then, even all those buildings combined, are those worth more than a soul? Well, and, he, and you he, know, here's the thing. I mean, if you if you really want to do that, and I can make a case that you know you may need commerce in the city sure. of God, right? Well, sure, I don't have of a problem with that. But why not bring over some of those workers in the Philippines who are starving and have them help build Zion? Right. Why not invite them to a better why way of not, living? Yes. Why not bring them in? Mm-hmm. Why not do those things? And and I, I think that point I think the point you made is, is a brilliant point, is that if, if if these if these funds do not start getting allocated to what they profess they're there for. They won't long retain them. Well, not only will yeah. they not retain them, let's just say they do retain them. Mm-hmm. To the end of time, to when Jesus comes back. And it still means nothing then, doesn't it? I think it'll be to their damnation. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a testament to, I don't know, the hubris, I guess, of man. That You know, and here's the other thing, too. You're talking about all this work on the Salt Lake Temple. I bet that costs a pile of money. Oh, dude. And what you're telling me is, is if they had just let alone, left well enough alone, they would have, uh, they would have preserved our heritage, our doctrine, our, the spiritual and sacred things of God much better. They're literally using a fortune of money to desecrate God's temple. Here was... So that's not a good use of funds. That's all I'm saying. If you remember correctly, one of the major points that was made in the um, renovation of the temple was we want to make it seismic proof. Okay. Which confused me, too, because I thought that, you know, being like nine-foot-thick granite stone walls, I thought it was pretty strong. No. You're not looking just for strength when you talk about seismic. Yeah. You're looking for mobility. Yeah, okay. One of the ways you do that is you put rollers under, you put the building on rollers. Okay. The foundation, so Mm -hmm. that when the quaking starts. It just kind of shifts. The building moves with the shift. So you don't have cracks in walls, those sorts of things. It's ingenious. Hmm. But if that was all it was, what? Relatively speaking, they that, wouldn't have had to actually do anything to the interior. To no, do that. they could have jacked up the bottom. Mm-hmm. And and I know it sounds nuts, but there's actually jacks that jack up. <laughs> they can lift buildings. up humongous granite temples, right? And and slide those rollers in there, mm-hmm. set them down, and that would have been enough. But they went and they gutted it. 
Again, I can't yeah. stress that enough. They gutted it. They are going out of their way to get rid of any of that residue left over. Well, now, and because it, it is hard, though, and I get it. It's really hard if your doctrine is being contradicted by the symbols that you're presenting. Mm-hmm. It's really hard if the if the ordinance that you're doing now is so incompatible with the ordinance they were doing then that you that the facility doesn't even work for it anymore. Right now, I'm, when I say I'm sympathetic, I'm not saying that I agree with those changes, but I can see the problem. You know, they've got they've got a shovel, and what they want is a hammer. They need a totally different tool to do a totally different job because they've got a totally different ordinance. They've got a different set of doctrines, and if you're walking around with Adam God doctrine on the walls and you know, plural marriage on the walls and symbols that uh, they've abandoned that might have come from Freemasonry or astrology or these other things. If you've got those things literally carved in stone on your temple, it becomes really difficult to teach something contrary to the things that they're right in front of the face of the, of the uh, parishioner, right? The, 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 the supplicant who comes into that temple and they say, Oh, I see that this is a temple dedicated to Adam God. I see that this is a temple dedicated to plural marriage. I see that this is a temple dedicated to these principles. And then you say, oh, no, 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 all that stuff is false doctrine. We have this new thing we're going to do instead. Becomes a, it becomes really difficult. And, I, and you know, I, I actually have heard, um, especially when I was a temple worker in the mainstream LDS church, um, a, amongst other temple workers, we'll talk sometimes about how first-time temple goers will come and ask really, really uncomfortable, really difficult questions sometimes. Because we're like, well, wait a second. What is this about that? What, what is this about that? And you have to be like, oh, no, 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 it doesn't mean what you think anymore. And give a new interpretation. Right. I love how the Lord works. And you can see it in this. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have a physical, physical edifice that maintained so much symbolism of days gone by. Mm-hmm. And not just days gone by, but principles that have been abandoned and at the same time you now have a bill that comes out where the church throws its weight behind gay marriage gay marriage for the first time and then it gets worse though Mm -hmm. they actually carve out a section where they say this does not apply to plural marriage right Right. right. The Respective Marriage Act specifically states by the way this doesn't apply to plural marriage so you have the way the church is working that totally corresponds with what they're doing physically to that temple. Right. A complete abandonment. At least mm-hmm. back when I joined in 1995, it was like plural marriage is a true principle. We just don't practice it right now. At least there was that. Now? Right. But now they're like, no, it's not a true principle at all. We totally reject. We totally reject it. Mm-hmm. In this act. In the, in the Defense mm-hmm. of Marriage Act, we completely, 100% disavow. Yeah. And now we're going to make the physical edifice reflect. Reflect these new beliefs. These new beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I talk to people and, and they, they say, why are you so passionate about this? I'm like, because it is the final seed change. I believe that. This is the final change where you will look and say... This doesn't this doesn't look anything like 1985. No, not anymore. 
And that's just 1985. Or 1975, right. for that matter. You know, because that's where the big change between 1975 and 1985 was the garments. Right. And once again, I, I think that one of the big differences with the garment was what do you do when you've got symbols that teach things you don't like anymore? Well, you got to get rid of those symbols. Yeah. You've got to change it because it's just too on the nose to keep presenting symbols and then saying, oh, yeah, but we don't really believe that anymore. And we don't have to go that far back. Let's go back three years. When mm-hmm. when Russell M. Nelson comes out and says, the word Mormon is a victory for Satan. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm like, forget the fact that for mm-hmm. such a long time it was the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. That you had Mormon.org. That you had... Right. The I'm a Mormon campaign. The the movies. Meet the Mormons. The... I mean, yeah. Well, and it even, seems a little bit... It just bit, seems ridiculous, almost. It, it's like, you know, you just doubled down on this, and now you're backing out? Well, I would <laughs> I would say this. I, I don't think it's, it's comical. I think it's 1984 George Orwell kind of spooky. Changing... Right? Here's the new dictionary of Newspeak. Right. right. And this newspeak is going to eliminate the word Mormon. So exactly. you don't get to use that word anymore. The, and this, mm-hmm. le- this is what's leading me to believe that this is not simply change for um, efficiency. I can kind of get behind that, right? Sometimes when Efficiency you- should mean things are faster, better, sleeker, more elegant. Or... or, right? or more easily deliverable to the people. Sure, right? Right. Who, I, I, I want my mailman to have an efficient route. Right. Because that's how I get my stuff. Right. And so when, when we're talking about efficiency within the church, that was always something that we touted as members, right? Sure. Especially when it came to charity, right? We mm-hmm. were the first boots on the ground, and we were, we were so organized and so efficient. I'm totally cool with that. Mm-hmm. But don't... Earmuffs. Don't piss on me and tell me it's raining, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> because 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 it's not the same thing. The, yeah, we're not talking about efficiency. Mm-hmm. It, some and sometimes things just can't be efficient because they're too important, right? Yeah, I don't want matters of eternal consequence becoming so efficient that we forget things, or that we forget what the point was. Yes, you know, and and let's not for a minute think that 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 isn't what's going on with the temple endowment, right? Well, right, or even the sealing ceremony. They've changed the sealing ceremony recently, um, and they haven't completely taken out all gendered um, references there. But they've already set now. They've set the precedent that they can make those changes, and they took out several gender-based references. In which case, how much harder would it be to turn it into a gay ceremony? It really would not be that difficult. Yeah. And and I've, I've heard the argument being made that this these changes were in the works clear back when they made the changes in 1990. Because they, they mm. did change. Rather than have um, each brother promise to be uh, faithful to his wife, and each mm. wife promised to be faithful to her husband when it came to the law of chastity... They then mm-hmm. combined it and said, do you all promise that you will be faithful to your husband and wife? All in one. Right. Yeah, because originally it was given separately, right, to the sisters that they would only um, they'd be faithful only to their husband as recognized by God and to men that they'd only be recognized to their wives 
they'd be faithful to their wives as recognized by God, right? And then, of course, they, they made that, that singular. Uh, though I do remember in the Salt Lake Temple, because of the live session, there's some variation yep. sometimes in presentation because different people saying different things. And I, I, did, I did notice one time in the Salt Lake Temple when he said um, to the men, each of you promise um, to be uh, the, law of, the law of chastity with your wives, plural, which I thought was amusing yeah. uh, that particular time. Um, yep. But but yeah, you know, it, it, that's interesting. And all of that, if it just turns into, if, if, if we eliminate gender, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's great. Now we don't have to worry about gender anymore. The problem is, is that <laughs> if you, if, if you really dig deep into the archetypes of, and mysticism and the mysteries of God, I'm sorry, but Mormonism is extremely heteronormative in certain ways. We have a place for not only a heavenly father, but a heavenly mother. Yeah. And that means that we believe in this like divine and eternal procreation, divine and eternal increase, and that these powers of life through like sexual reproduction with male and female, with, you know, the sperm and the egg, with... With all of that, is it's a divine pattern. It's not just the most convenient thing in this broken mortal world. It is something that is, exists before the mortal world was even created. It, it's something that exists that's eternal. And so, yeah, it's really tricky. It's really tricky to then go back and say, oh, well, I guess that stuff doesn't matter. Well, <clears throat> you, you seek to get rid of gender. The problem is, is that in doing so, you have to tell a lie, Ben. Yeah? You have to tell a lie. I remember in the latest incarnation of the Holy Writ known as the Church Handbook of Instructions. Uh, which, of course, everyone knows is the most important of the standard yes, works. Yes, absolutely. At least if you're in church absolutely, leadership. <laughs> absolutely. I, this is another one that is going to probably piss some people off and get some run, and that's okay. But I firmly believe the Church has made a conscious decision to replace the standard works with the handbook of instructions right. and the Holy Spirit with Curtin and McConkie. And nowhere right. was that more evident than what happened in that case in Arizona where you had... Oh, the abuse case. You're the abuse about. case, yeah. right? Where the guy mm-hmm. comes in and basically says, yeah, I've been abusing my daughters. And so the mm-hmm. bishop... Now, now he's got this... Well, let, penitent on. relationship, so they so they look at Arizona law, right? Hold, hold okay, on. okay, I'll hold up. Hold, hold on. You could wake me up from a coma. I think you could wake most people up from a coma and say, "Dude just admitted to molesting his infant daughter." Yeah. What's the first order of business? Get those kids and that mother to safety now. Right. Do not wait. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Get mm-hmm. their asses to safety. Somewhere. I don't care where. You have, it has to be now, too, because you're not... You yeah. have an entire backing of a rich organization. Put them in a hotel. Get them set up an apartment. Something. Yep, but separate them. And then... Right now. And then deal with that monster. Yeah. Right? No, 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 no. Somehow. Again... You could wake 99% of the population up from a coma and say, you have all this at your disposal. What do you do? And everybody knows the answer without thinking about this very hard at all. No. This bishop goes, yeah, I better call Curtin McConkie. 
Well, and he maybe has to call Kurt McConkie, but he sh- definitely should have gotten those kids to safety first. Right. But you but know? that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is that that phone call should be about fourth on your priority list if you're a devout Mormon. Right. But the Church Chamber of Instruction says the very first thing you do is you call this hotline call number Kurt right McConkie. now. What about the Spirit? What about the Spirit? Why not take five minutes to pray about it? No, 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 don't, no, no, don't, no, 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 not pray about no, no, no. it. Call the lawyers. No, we got something better than the spirit. It's Kurt McConkie. You call them, <laughs> right? So, yeah, but but back back to 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 the point here is that the 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 new handbook of instructions actually says it's okay to call somebody of a different gen by a different gender within church if that's what they're comfortable with. And I'm like, isn't that kind of like lying though? If you know that the dude's a dude, you don't tell people that that's a woman. Aren't you participating in the lie by saying that's a chick? <sighs> yeah, right. You know, and uh, and I think one of the most interesting ones no, was the uh, can... the architect that uh, here in Provo, of course. One of the most interesting things is the new MTC, the big building construction expansion of the MTC, and all that stuff. Um, was by, done by a church member who transitioned from male to female. Yep. And it was interesting when they were doing the ribbon cutting to open the MTC, uh, he, she, she, I guess now, <laughs> um, shows up and is there for the ribbon cutting and all of that. And they said, well, um, sister so-and-so, you know, uh, thank you for all the work you did on this building, you know, to design it. And the chief architect... Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that's it is an interesting thing. It's it's one thing in theory. It's another thing face to face when you're like, OK, now what do we do? We're right, right. here, you know. Yeah, I it's it, it's a tricky time in which we live. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think the church has made it even exceedingly harder on itself because they have mm-hmm. they have decided that they'll change no matter what. Right. That 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 there is no two there is no ground too sacred that you can't yield a little bit. And, well, if it suits their ordinance work better, uh, especially with their new ordinances, if if they think that it suits that better, apparently they're willing to even change the temple. Right. So, um, so yeah, what is more... Well, well, there can't be anything too sacred then, because that literally is the most sacred thing, is not only the temple, but the covenants we make with God there. And if they're willing to change those things to please, to please the world, those are the most sacred things. I can't imagine that anything else could be more sacred. In the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, Joseph says that the ordinances were given to man by Adam and not to be altered. Period. Right. So if not to be altered or changed, he even says specifically. Yep. So if they've been altered, and you. You claim it's by an act of revelation. Does that mean we have to go back and redo all the old temple work now to reflect the new changes if that was really a revelation? Right. And yet they don't really want to do that They don't want to talk about that. There's all sorts of problems here that... that I I think people are super uncomfortable with. It just reminds me of Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof. Wait a second, Tevya. He's right, and he's right. They can't both be right. Right. And then Tevya goes, huh, 
you are also right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Right? Because it's, you know, it's really hard when you've got these really contrary things. And this is the mental gymnastics. You, you know, you really try so hard. A lot of people in Mormonism try so hard for so long to try to say, I want it this way and I want it that way. I want to have my cake. I want to eat it too. I want plural marriage to be good and true for my grandparents, but I want it to be totally wrong and evil for me. I want the temple ordinances to be fine when the Salt Lake Temple was built. I also want them to be fine after it's been rebuilt in a totally new way. I want both to be fine. But how? Right. How can they possibly both be right? And I think that that is really the difference between a so-called Mormon fundamentalist and simply a church member. Right. Is that a Mormon fundamentalist says, they can't both be right. Right. I have to I have to hold to something and I'm going to hold to the scriptures or I'm going to hold to the fundamentals or I'm going to hold to something, some deep fundamental thing that I know is true and I'm going to hold on to that testimony and I'm going to have to let the other stuff go because I can't, I can't have my cake and eat it too. That was the promise of the gospel, right? Is that truth has been restored mm-hmm. and you no longer have to wonder. Right, you right. Can, you can dive into the myth. restoration has happened, and so you, you know can, it's you can dive into mm-hmm. mysteries, but understand that the bedrock truths aren't changing. That was yeah. the appeal to me to Mormonism, right? Amongst mm-hmm. other things, that was a major appeal to me was was to go that way. Now, Ben, let me play devil's advocate. In this case, probably literally devil's advocate. Okay, but <clears throat> Ben, weren't we bu- a church built on continuing revelation? So why shouldn't we expect certain changes to happen? Revelation isn't the same thing as a change. Okay? Revelation is getting more light. So for example, here in a here in the imagine you, you dear listener, whatever room you're in, how well lit is it and how much can you see? Now, maybe it's brightly lit and you can see a lot, but you know what you can't really see around the corners. Um, or you can't really see into the closet, or you don't can't see inside the box until you open it, but you can see everything else. Revelation, from my understanding, should mean that now you can see around the corner and you go, oh, there's something else over there. Or now you're opening the box and you're seeing what's really inside. It doesn't mean all of a sudden that light is darkness and truth is false and up is down and black is white. It doesn't mean that the things you can already see by the light of the gospel and you've already established that you already are experiencing are all of a sudden cease to exist or that reality itself will bend and change like some kind of, you know, fever dream. It means that there's more to learn. That's what revelation is supposed to mean. And so when people say, oh, well, it doesn't matter that it changed. So that's what revelation is, right? It'd be like somebody, it'd be like somebody drugging me and saying, oh, that's just the way light is. Sometimes light makes you see one thing and sometimes it makes you see another. Um, So it doesn't matter if you're hallucinating all kinds of bizarre things. Uh, I'm, you know, like, like you said in the beginning, don't piss on me and tell me it's raining. Do you know what I mean? This is exactly the same kind of thing. Don't it's gaslighting. That this is why lighting and looking at your room is the perfect example of this. It is gaslighting. When somebody says, Oh, I didn't see that. That's not real. And you're like, it's right in front of me. 
This has been an established truth for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. This is part of my heritage. This is part of my culture. This is something that I've always known to be true. This is something I've experienced for myself and know to be true. And now you're trying to tell me it doesn't even exist. It never existed. Mormon, is, Mormon was always a bad word against us. It was vulgar. It was, it was a slur. It said, it's a victory for Satan. And it always has been. And it's like, you know, I remember five years ago when the church was promoting the word Mormon as our brand. And now you're trying to tell me that never happened. And that's just gaslighting. It's not revelation. It's making up random things and pretending that they're real. It's, it's a little, it's very pathological. Yeah. I, uh, I'll go back to the source of the restoration in, in Joseph Smith, the earthly mm-hmm. source, where he said, anybody that preaches to you a different gospel than I am preaching mm-hmm. to you, set them apart as an imposter. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He, he, set, the, he set the bar. Okay? I didn't set the bar. Russell M. Nelson didn't set the bar. The Lord through Joseph Smith set the bar. Right. And and right. And this is one of the reasons why it says in the Doctrine and Covenants. It says that the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Um, we're also warned that a light shall break forth among them who sit in darkness, but they receive it not, for they perceive not the light. Wherefore, this is the condemnation of man. These scriptures, I think, are speaking specifically about the latter part of the latter days, our time, right now, 2022, 2023. The Lord is saying to us, right at this juncture, you know what's going to happen is that the gospel will be restored, but not everyone's going to embrace it. Not everyone's going to receive it. Uh, another one of my favorite prophecies about this is a prophecy by Jesus Christ himself. Third Nephi. In Third Nephi. Yep. And that's why it's one of my favorite scriptures, because he says, look, in the latter days, the fullness of the gospel will be restored, but not everyone will receive it. And when they reject the fullness of the gospel, they will lose the fullness of the gospel. They'll go back to the house of Israel. It'll go back to the house of Israel. So in 35.16.10, the Lord says specifically that in the latter days, the people who receive his prophecy, the people who receive the Book of Mormon, the people who receive the restoration are going to lose the fullness. But don't fear. It's not gone. It's not gone just because you can't see it in the same way. It's still there. It's just hidden from the wicked. It's hidden from the world. And the only way to find it is to be come and be numbered with the house of Israel. Come and remember the covenants which I made unto your fathers. In other words, stop trying to pretend truth can be whatever you want it to be. Look back. Grab the iron rod of your scriptures. Open them up. And you'll find there's truths in there that have always been true and right. always will be. And just like a rod of iron, it's firm. And even if you are so lost in the midst of darkness, you can't see a thing. Even if you can't walk, just pull yourself hand over hand along that rod and you will find the tree. Right. You know, the other thing I said about continuing revelation mm-hmm. is that I'm totally game for it. Oh, absolutely. In fact, we need more revelation because there's obviously, I mean, for example, um, your address, my address, we live in Utah County. Uh, My address doesn't say lives in the city of the New Jerusalem yet. Right. So we obviously haven't done 
everything we need to do, which means we need to do better than Wilford Woodruff, Brigham Young. We need to do better than Joseph Smith was able to do, frankly. We need to get there and build the new Jerusalem. And so what's that going to take? That is going to take some more revelation because we've we've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot right. to become if we're going to get there. You know, I, I me, that same guy I was talking about, we, we've sat around and, you know, batted ideas back and forth. And I'm like, I could totally see where there could be other ordinances mm-hmm. out there that haven't been revealed yet. Sure. But there's a litmus test for it. Does it contradict anything? Does it contradict previous revelations? Because if it does, Mm -hmm. you got to toss it out. So it's one of those things that revelation, if I'm understanding correctly, and 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 if you disagree, please tell me. But my thought is is that if it's new revelation that doesn't um, contradict previous revelation, it's worthy of being looked at for sure. Right? And and it's a does it does it add insight? Does it add knowledge? Does it? Does it does it increase my love for God? Right. Or it, does it decrease it? Right. And so I, there, there's a litmus test to be met there when you're talking about new revelation. So this idea that, oh, you know what? God changed his mind. You know, let, let's go back. Let's just take something away instead of adding something new. Let's, Again, <laughs> let, let's, jump, let's jump back into our time machine and go way, 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 way back to 2017. <laughs> when, pre-pandemic it's like a different world you know different world when um russell m nelson receives that revelation he called it where children of same-sex couples 2015 yeah can't, was it 15 yeah a child with a, any any person with a parent in a same-sex marriage originally right, anybody you? with a parent any parent either parent in a same-sex marriage could not be baptized right. unless they were over 18 and could disavow that parent. Right. Now, let's go ahead and let's move forward, what, two years? Maybe 2017 is when I was thinking it was overturned. I can't remember. I think it was almost five years. Was it Was it 2020? It might have been 2020. Yeah. Okay. So in five years, God goes, you know what? Never mind. Oops. My bad. I Yeah, no. Here's another revelation. Go change this. Right. So, if, which if one was the revelation? Because it can't be both. If, if if that's the God you worship, mm-hmm. I feel sorry for you, because right. that's not a God that can be counted on. Right. That's not a God who is unchanging and everlasting, right. and the same so yesterday, if, so today, the, and tomorrow. Right. So, so let's say let's say I am a Christian who believes in this type of God, and I believe that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, God has decreed that I am forgiven of my sins. God has decreed that I can be saved and enter into his glory. God has said, imagine dying even and being in the presence of God and God saying, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And you think, I've done it. God, uh, through the atonement of Christ, I am redeemed. How could you trust that God if he changes his mind that quick? How do you know in five or ten or ten thousand or a hundred million years, at some point, God's not going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed some morning and be like, you know what? Change my mind. You're all damned. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because if he can change the terms of salvation, if he can change his covenants, if he can change his laws, he's just too inconsistent to be trusted. Yeah. And, and, and so faith, faith is destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So now let me ask you this. You're a run-of-the-mill LDS guy. Married, got some kids, good job, 
great social network through the church. Mm-hmm. But you notice this. What do you do? And it's eating on you. And you know something's wrong. Look, I, I still contest that everybody knows there's something wrong. Something's not right. The numbers don't add up. Two and two, they're telling you two and two is five, and you know. And you know. You it's... know it's four. What do you do? What do you do? You know, I think the hard thing is, is the first thing you do is the same thing you and I both did for a long time, and you kind of live a little bit of a double life. You hold fast to something you know is true, and you kind of let the other stuff go. You kind of say, well, look, I know something's not right, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do anything different. I mean, I, I was there for years because I um, I was really disturbed when they changed the temple ordinances in 2003 to remove the washing and anointing ordinances, the mm-hmm. new ordinances, and, and just completely i mean they didn't just it wasn't a tweak they they completely threw the ordinance out the window and disposed of it entirely and then replaced it with something entirely different um and that really upset me but what else was i where else was i gonna go what else was i gonna do you know what i mean i had a family i had all my connections in the church the church was my life just because that felt super wrong doesn't mean i want to give up the good that i did have in my life and I think that the hard part is, is that that's how you, that's why the frog, frogs keep getting boiled, right? It's not just that they didn't notice the changes little by little. It's that none, none of these changes individually are enough to risk the other important and good things in our, in our lives. I don't want to risk my salvation or my exaltation or, or my standing in the church or my friendships or my marriage. I don't want to risk any of that if I'm that guy just because something's wrong. I mean, it's got to it's got to reach some kind of critical mass where it's over the top before you're willing to take the risk. You've got to already be have nothing to lose basically before you're willing to take that kind of risk usually. And so what do you do? What do you do? And I think the thing that's hard is we all just need to stand up together at the same time and say no, I won't do that. You know, the next time there's, the next time they change a temple ordinance, or even just the next time you go to the temple, you go and talk to the temple president and you say, I'm not comfortable changing and therefore violating my covenants. I made covenants with God and I'm not comfortable breaking them for you. You know, and they're going to be like, oh, no, 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 it's nothing like that. Let me, let me find a different excuse. Let me find a different explanation. Of course they're going to do that. But at some point, if people don't speak up, they're not even going to know that anybody cares. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I And, and of course, when it really comes down to it, I, I found my solution. But I don't, know that, I don't know that my solution is for everybody. My I, solution was I found another LDS church that actually keeps the covenants and does the temple ordinances and has temples and, and does all that stuff. But I know there's some people who are going to be like, look, I, I do want... I do want more of the temple, but I don't want plural marriage, you know, or I don't want consecration. I'm not ready to consecrate. You know, that's just too scary. And coming into Christ church, they kind of have to take the whole kit and caboodle of Mormonism with them if they want to come into Christ church. So what do they do if they're not ready to take that big of a leap? People got to, people have to stop being afraid to speak up though. Yeah. So... Two things I would say, and I, I'm always cognizant of, of other people's situations. 
right? I'm a convert to the LDS Church. The only mem- oh, Mormon on either side of my family. Well, see, so you've got less to lose. i got less to lose, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I already tore up my foundation once when I became a Mormon in the LDS Church. Mm-hmm. So turn up. I didn't even have to tear up the foundation. I just had to take down the walls. You just had kinda, to. You had to. You just had to make uh, right. fix some things up. Fix some things up to become <laughs> a fundamentalist, right? Right. But not everybody's in in my position, and I try to be cognizant of that. There are people whose very family identities are wrapped up in. We attend the LDS Church because. Damn it, we're the Joneses, and that's what we right. do. And and we're a forever family. Yes. And all of that gets to be put in jeopardy yep. when you've got a stake president or a bishop, and that's leadership roulette for you, um, who's going to be like, wait, you questioned something? Did you did you listen to the Mormon Renegade podcast? That bishop's going to be like, well, then get out of my ward. You know, you don't want all of that right. being put at stake. Right. So, so I'm always very careful. And the other thing mm-hmm. I'll say is, if you, and and this is where I would say this, you better get really damn comfortable in a big hurry. Learning the voice of the Spirit and learning the mm-hmm. direction of God. It may be that the Lord wants you in the temple. I mean, wants you in the church. The same mm-hmm. reason He had me observe in the temple. Maybe you're there to bear witness. And maybe you have to sit there until you can't stand it anymore and the Lord tells you to go. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the Lord has said to you, you better get out of here. You know, I think the main thing is, is don't throw the baby with the bathwater. And that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. Do not run into the soft arms of somebody named Don Jalen. <laughs> or something that rhymes with Don Jalen. Or yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You don't have to become a bitter anti-Mormon. No, just because there's a problem. Right. Right. To some extent, your faith it can still be true, even if the church isn't true. Right. And that that took me a long time to I think to really learn that I could say I know the gospel's true, even if I didn't say I know the church is true, and that those two things are different. They are different. And that's sometimes a hard thing for somebody who's the classically trained LDS person Mm -hmm. is to make that dichotomy, that there is a difference between the gospel and the church. Right. And so if you're losing your faith, honestly... I would say stop, do full Mm -hmm. stop, and then Mm -hmm. ask yourself this question. What are you losing your faith in? Because I don't think that this is a question that's asked enough in these situations. Right. Are you losing faith in Salt Lake? Are you losing faith in the LDS Church? Or are you losing faith in the gospel and your God? Because those are two different things. If you're mm-hmm. losing your faith in this superstructure that was supposed to administer the restored gospel, there's hope. There's there's definitely hope. There's hope. Don't just because there's that. just because there's problems in the church doesn't mean therefore that God isn't real, right? Or that the or that the gospel isn't true. I know sometimes uh, sometimes people struggle when they struggle with historical issues. Sometimes they'll struggle with I think I'm losing my testimony of Joseph Smith, right? Um, and if that's where you're at, again I would say be careful. Don't throw away the baby with don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's say you hear something terrible. If you hear something terrible about a good friend, there should at least be a tendency to say, wait, 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 that, that's not what, 
that doesn't sound like the Joseph Smith I know. To do some investigation. You know what I mean? Let's at least withhold judgment for a while and try to find out if there isn't a good explanation. Or if there isn't, you know, don't, don't turn on your friends too easily, okay? We all need some loyalty. We all need some grace. Uh, and I think that there's plenty, and there's, there's room for that. Yeah. You know, um, and yet there are bad things that happen in the world and there's things that are hard to explain. In a lot of cases, though, it starts sorting itself out if your intentions are based on love. A love for God, a love for the gospel, a love for your fellow man. Yep. And there are good answers. There are really good answers to a lot of these things. And I just wish that it wasn't so often that I feel like it's the leaders of the church that are causing the widow to suffer, the orphan to go hungry, the that aren't causing people to cry alone in the night and say, God, why is it like this? I have a I, I mean, I, I, I've known of many stories, many stories of, of people who will say, I did everything the church told me, and I, why is my life not working out the way that I was promised? And I'm like, oh, because you have to fulfill the right principles. You have right. to fulfill the right covenants. It's not about being loyal to the church. The church is often giving you a Disneyized version you know, it's not the original fairy tale. It's not the fairy tale with all of the, the blood and the fear and the and the overcoming that might have been in the original fairy tale. It's the Disney version, and then you believe in that Disney version, and you think, "Don't worry, my prince will come and make everything right, and it'll all be fine." And you find yourself, you find yourself, in some dark, dark situation, and you think, "Well." Why is the spirit abandoned me? You know, I thought the spirit was supposed to give me warm fuzzies all the time. I didn't think the spirit was ever supposed to convict me of my sin. <laughs> I didn't think the spirit was ever supposed to tell me to do something scary. I didn't think the, didn't think the spirit was ever supposed to tell me to, uh, to take big risks and do things I find very uncomfortable. And it turns out, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's the way it is. The spirit will sometimes tell you things that are challenging and hard. And maybe you are going to risk it all. And maybe you're even going to lose it all. But the good news is, is that it's worth it. You know, I know that that's, I know it's not in the scriptures um, and people will uh, give it a hard time, but I've seen like little pictures of Jesus that'll say, I never said it would be easy. I only said it'd be worth it. Now that's not in the scriptures, but I think the, the purpose of that saying is, is definitely a sound principle that the gospel isn't valuable because of what we get out of it. It's not worth it because we'll always please all of our neighbors and friends and make sure that and our family will surely love everything that we do when we do it and that we're going to get something good out of it. It's not it's not transactional like that. The gospel is good and the gospel is worth it because it's the truth. Because it's real. You can you can sit in front of your TV all day long and in la la land and fantasize a different world. But sooner or later, you have to face the world that you live in, the, the skin that you live in, and say, I have to know the truth. I have to live the truth. I have to be myself. I can't pretend forever to be something else, right? And 
And that's why we have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, or in other words, not to lose faith in God just because we're losing faith in the church. Or even if we lose faith in the restoration, we still shouldn't give up our faith in God. Why? Because in the darkest nights of the soul, who we are matters. And and being able to look forward, not backward, with an eye of hope, saying, look, I don't know the answer to all things, but I know that God loves his children. It's one of my favorite sayings in the Book mm-hmm. of Mormon. Uh, in uh, uh, Nephi, it's like, well, do you know this? Do you know that? No, I don't know. But I know that God loves his children. I know that there is a dawn after the dark night of the soul. It's out there somewhere. you got to hold on. you got to hold on for that. And I believe to be found in the, in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to thousands of questions philosophers have pondered on for throughout the ages. There are truths and insights. There are, there's structure. There's order waiting to be discovered that, you know, and this is why we don't change the ordinances. There's, there's layers of esoteric, mystical meaning to be found that we haven't even discovered that are still in there. So if you if you change something, if you give up on something, if you throw that baby out of the bathwater, if you decide because uh, something in history that Joseph Smith did doesn't comport with my idea, I'm going to throw out everything Joseph Smith ever said. If we get that kind of attitude, you miss the beauty that's to be found in there in the things that you shouldn't have to throw away. You know? Let me Let me give you an example of that. And I would say, furthermore, it's going to come back to bite you because you're going to need whatever it was that was taken out later. Right. And I, and I want... Here I don't need these tools in my toolbox. I'm going to go to work with only the tools I need. Oh, right. oh. crap. I really need the big wrench. I you think to yourself later, and it's like, too bad you left it behind. I used to have a... a <laughs> I used to have work for a guy who used to say, you can't use it if you don't have it. Right. Right. right? If you don't have the tool anymore, yeah. you can't use it anymore. Let me give you a very gospel example of this just this last conference you had i believe it was runland i could be wrong came out and said look we know there's a heavenly mother but we don't know a lot about her (laughs) i'm like why don't you know a lot about her wait 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 wait. (laughs) sorry (laughs) let's 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 go i wasn't saying that to you i was saying to to renland let's go back and let's look at this obscure doctrine that you guys well, I shouldn't say you guys, but your predecessors uh-huh. absolutely hated the Adam-God doctrine. Because if you believe the Adam-God doctrine, mm-hmm. you know a whole hell of a lot about Heavenly Mother. Yes, you do. And we know a lot about the doctrine of Heavenly Mother. We know a lot about what she said and what she, uh, you know, and what she did. And on top of that, um, you've got things like wisdom speaking to us in Proverbs um, and other places where we talk about divine feminine influences in the scripture. It doesn't have to be literally Heavenly Mother to be something we do know about the feminine principle. So you don't have to pretend we don't know anything about Heavenly Mother. If you know that the divine feminine is a thing, all you got to do is look at the patterns of feminine divine powers over and over again. And you'll know a lot about Heavenly Mother. Yeah. Does he not know what a temple matron is? Yeah. A temple matron is an example of Heavenly Mother. Let's look at what that role originally did. And let's look at how that works. But you see, by getting you know? rid of it, yep. you needed it down the road. And now you don't got and now it. now you don't got it. And so you're saying, well, we don't know a lot. And it's like, you know, you used to know a lot more than you know now. Yes. 
And who knows, had you had we not stuck to the path, what kind of revelation mm-hmm. we would have had today right. on the subject. So, How different would the poetry of Carolyn Pearson be if she, <laughs> if she actually didn't feel like Heavenly Mother was being hidden from her? Yeah. yeah. You know? How, well, here's the other thing I, I've maintained for quite a while. There may not have been a more pro-woman religion than Mormonism when it first started, mm-hmm. right? And, and you're and yet, talking about for the first mm-hmm. time in Christian history, you can make the case that woman was equal with man. You had a mm-hmm. heavenly father, you had a heavenly mother. They had different mm-hmm. characteristics that worked together to create mm-hmm. a better whole. And mm-hmm. you had priests and priestesses who hoped to become like their heavenly parents, and all of these amazing principles. And then, you know, it, it got quashed. Yep. It, one of the, That was one of the things. I mean, you go back to the misogynist 1920s, um, and you've got the church trying to be like mainstream society and get rid of plural marriage. And what did they do? They threw away every doctrine about femininity at the same time because it was it was all wrapped up in polygamy for them. And so they decided, nope, we, we can't have priestesses. We can't have any of this. We have to squash it all. We have to get rid of the confinement blessing. We have to get rid of yep. all of these beautiful things because they just sound, they smack too much of old Mormonism and polygamy. And we want to be new and American. And so we have to be, we have to be just as misogynist as the rest of America, apparently. Yep. And, and then, and now conservatism just looks like being even further behind on that and even more misogynist. Yep. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Because this is something that I think most devout LDS people really struggle with. This is the thing that keeps them tethered. And it's also the thing I think that makes um, becoming an atheist so appealing. Is because you just go dark and there's nothing else to worry about, right? You just go to sleep without dreams. This idea that if you leave the LDS church and you're no longer sealed to your parents, your grandparents, that you no longer get to have your family in eternity. What would you say to them? Well, you know this is one of my big, biggest pet peeves. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, it, makes my, it makes my blood boil. And I know that I'm on a podcast, so I don't want to scream because I'll be screaming in a bunch of people's AirPods or something. But... Oh my gosh, there is no idea more vicious than that. It is false. It's evil. I mean, it's so evil to try to tell people that you're going to take their family away from them, that you're not going to be sealed anymore, that you're going to lose everything if you don't stay in the church or you don't stay obedient to our program or you don't pay us money. We're going to take away your children. We're going to take away your parents. Oh my gosh, it's Can just so anyone? evil. Can you blame anyone for wanting to and, go atheist after that, though? Right? Oh, I can't blame isn't, them. Isn't, of course they're pissed. Isn't isn't a they should be angry? Isn't an eternal, an eternity of non-existence better than an eternity of, of solitary confinement? Yeah, yeah. Away from your loved ones. Yeah, it's hor- it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific, and it really has infected the way so many Mormons think, because. We've internalized that lesson. They don't even have to say it. People fear it. People fear if they leave the church, if they piss off the wrong bishop, if they do whatever, that they're, that those people 
that the president of the church even, that, that Russell M. Nelson, has the power to pull your family away from you. And such a God is a monster. Such a God is a monster. I say this is exactly like tearing a baby from its mother's arms on the slave auction block. Even that, even that isn't half as evil as the as this perspective in the LDS church that you're going to lose your family. And it's exactly opposite to what the scriptures actually say. Joseph Smith actually says in section 131 that the same sociality which exists amongst us here will exist amongst us hereafter. Only it will be coupled with eternal glory. He didn't say, but only if you do everything we say. No, the same sociality which exists on this earth will exist hereafter. Okay? Even monsters of history, even Mussolini or Stalin or whatever probably had friends or family or somebody they wanted to see and they still got to say hello to them okay and even in the next world even the monsters of history will not be in solitary confinement that doesn't mean you have to put up with them okay i'm not (laughs) friends with any of these people i'm not friends with any of these people but if you think you don't get to go home for christmas dinner because you didn't pay your tithing then that is a false fear that the church has been manipulating, using against people to manipulate their behavior. And it is not scriptural. The same sociality which exists amongst us here will exist amongst us hereafter. That means not that families can be together forever. It's that families will be together forever. They will. You know, you might be, you might even be horrifically estranged estranged from a family member. That happens. But there's still hope, right? that that you could reconcile um i i mentioned the earlier um an earlier episode of this podcast that i am i'm deeply and 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 you know with trauma uh very estranged from one of my family members mm-hmm. um from my brother and and yet i believe that in the eternities, there's always a chance for repentance somewhere. Isn't that the kind of the whole promise of the resurrection? Isn't that the whole promise of Jesus Christ? Uh, I don't want to associate with my brother right now. I have no hope or even interest in being in his company right now. But I do have some hope that in the eternal worlds or in the resurrection, whatever is wrong with his criminally insane mind, maybe it can mend. Maybe it can. And I don't have to be in his presence. But I could certainly go and be with him. He could be with me, regardless of our faith, regardless of how dark and evil he goes. He can go into the celestial kingdom. But that doesn't mean that I'd be separated from him, even if I was in the celestial kingdom. I don't see this as a geographic separation. It's not a different world. It's no. a different It's a different type of glory. It's certainly. a different set of privileges it's a, right it's a different it's a different lifestyle maybe right right but but it doesn't mean that you're not family anymore it doesn't right. mean you're going to lose them forever and so yeah i guess that's one of the other messages i have to say to anybody in the lds church who goes i know some things aren't quite right and i'm not sure if those guys in the mormon Renegade podcast are correct about everything they say is wrong but i do know that some things aren't right but i'm not willing to risk what i've got you know i'd say look you can't have fear and faith at the same time. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, there is peace in the truth. 
There's firmness in the truth. There is safety in the truth. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that they're going to take your family away. They can't. They can't do it. Don't be afraid that they're going to... um, that they're going to be able to um, really hurt you. They can't. The church isn't going to hurt anybody. Yes, you're going to you're going to have family members that are going to be upset. Some of them that might try to be estranged from you. Oftentimes, you're going to reconcile. My my own mother, when I when I came into Christ Church, my own mother said some very very hurtful things to me, and I haven't really fully forgiven her. But. I think what happened was is once she realized that she had disowned her own son and that we were truly estranged, she fairly quickly realized that that wasn't what she really wanted. What she wanted was to be able to control my behavior so that I would do what she wanted, right. you know? And when she realized, no, Ben is firm in his convictions. Benjamin's not going to change just because I'm, no matter what cruel thing I say or do, he's not going to change. Do I really want to not see my son anymore? She softened. Sometimes it takes a while. I get that. But like, you just, you can't live in that kind of fear. You have to, you have to stand for the truth because what else can you stand for? You know, (coughs) if you don't stand on the truth, you're not standing on anything. You're standing on shifting sands, you know? Well, and, and that's the reason I asked the question, Ben, is because... That is the ultimate punk card that they pull, right? It's, it is kind of, yeah. You're going to lose your whole family, man. Or you yeah. have your own family saying, you're breaking heaven. You're, you're destroying my heaven. You're destroying my heaven right, right now by what you're doing. By what, because you're not kowtowing or towing the line the way I expect you to. But you're right. It is insidious because it's not what Scripture says. Right. And it's, right? it's just not true. The, 131 goes, it's super clear. <laughs> It, it mm-hmm. you, your family, you will, you will see your family. You know, in the I, I went to a, I went and to a counselor. I went to a psychiatrist. I was really upset about this time uh, with these changes in my own life, and I was telling him what was going on and how worried I was, and I told him something my bishop said to me, and the psychiatrist was furious, and I was surprised because I saw it from. The mainstream LDS point of view. Yeah. And he was non-Mormon. He was a non-Mormon psychiatrist. And um, so I, I went to him and I was like, well, but I don't want to lose everything I'm telling this guy. I, I'm feeling like I'm on the edge because I'm losing my faith in the church and I'm seeing that these things are wrong in the church and I'm afraid I could lose everything. And he's like, well, what would you lose? What would you really lose? And I'm like, well, I could lose my family. I could lose all kinds of things. And he's like, well, that's not true. You, he's like, from what I'm, uh, from what I'm hearing from you, you haven't left your faith. They're leaving you. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, you're telling me that you just want to hold fast to what you believe in, and what you've committed to, and what you know, what you made these promises, these religious promises, my temple covenants, essentially. And he's like, you're trying to keep these promises. Why, uh, if they're the ones leaving, then don't. Don't internalize that. Don't blame yourself. They're the ones leaving you. You're not leaving them. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. And then the next thing was, is I, I told him one of the things my bishop had said to me was he said, Brother Benjamin, you sure have a beautiful family. It sure would be a shame if you lost them over this. Oh. And I had I, I basically hinted. And he's like, well, what did this bishop say to you? And I tell this psychiatrist what he said. And that's basically it. It's almost word for word. And 
the psychiatrist just lost his cool. He was like, I don't know what you've been involved in, but that is evil. That is abuse. That is wrong. Do not believe that man. That is a threat. That is a threat you should call the police over. That man is threatening your family. It is not safe. It is not okay to associate people with people who say stuff like that. That is not. A, that, I mean, that, that's that's organized crime levels of evil. Oh yeah. When when you, okay. When you said what that bishop said, I said I I thought if it. Had it an, sounds like a mafia thing, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know? I was gonna say if it had an Italian accent, I'd be like, was that in the Godfather? Was that in the Godfather? <laughs> right. It's like, oh my gosh. Do you know what I mean? But no, that's exactly what he said, and. But it took a while for me to be far enough on the outside of it sure. to recognize that that's what it was. But that's really what it is. And so, we look, you got to be bold. And you got to say, look, the truth is the truth. I'm going to stand on principle. Even if the church is wrong. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it helps to realize God never said that. Right. God, God never, never said, said it. God God never said in his Italian accent, you know, you got a really nice family here, but my cousin Rudy, yeah. you know, he's a really violent man. Yeah, that's right. You know, and if you don't do what I want, it'd be a real shame if something if terrible happened someone, to your family. You know? If someone makes God sound like Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. Right, and you got to pay protection money, then there's a problem. There's a problem, right? <laughs> and the scriptures are clear. You're going to have your family no matter what. That's, that's that's as as good as the resurrection itself. The thing the sealing ordinances do for you is that gives you the opportunity to attain to higher privileges and a higher resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's it. Not geographical separation. And once those once you can make that, I promise, the church ain't got nothing. Right. And, you know, actually, I was really, really relieved, actually, when yeah. my membership in the church ended. I mean, I was I was trying to live in both ways for a long time. And I, I wasn't really doing anything to upset the church, or at least I, didn't, I was trying not to, frankly. Right. Um, but then I realized... Um, it's not like you went out I, and started a podcast. I mean, I didn't even go. I, no, I didn't go out and start a podcast or anything. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so, uh, you know, so for a long time, I just tried to just keep... Keep it on the down low. Keep it cool. Everybody's fine. It's all good. Um, but the thing I didn't expect is that when I was no longer a member of the church, <laughs> I was relieved. Yeah. Because I knew that I they'd already done their worst. Yep. They cannot burn me at the stake as a heretic. Right. They wouldn't kill me. The worst they could do is say, well, you're not a member anymore. And I was like, actually, that's kind of a relief because... Yeah. You're going to stop threatening me now, aren't you? And they're yeah. like, well, yeah, we've already done our worst. And I'm like, well, good. Because I don't think your worst has taken my priesthood. And I don't think your worst has taken my family. And I don't think your worst is going to take me away from God. All I've done is try to keep my covenants. And if you don't like that, then that's, you're the one who's going to have to answer to God for, for that, not me. Yeah. I'm not that worried. Yeah. It was kind of a relief. Yep. <laughs> So we've been at this now two hours and fifteen minutes. Oh goodness gracious! I'm gonna I'm gonna make all the records for the longest podcast when I'm with you. No, Josh I just Erickson like to talk. has you beat by a by, mile. Well, well, yeah, especially well, you had to break those up into a few different episodes too. Well, yeah. no, his very first one we went. Well, yeah, it was like four hours or seven, wasn't four and it? a half hours. Four and a half yeah. hours, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> didn't seem like it, but it went quick. Yeah. Here's what I'm gonna say. I'll, I'll say my final, and then I always like to turn it back over to you. If you're listening to this. 
and you're in the mainstream LDS church and you know something is wrong, the first thing I would say is don't panic. Breathe. Just breathe. Just just sit with it for a minute and understand. Always good advice. The world's not ending. No. The world is not ending. It's going to feel like the world is ending, possibly, if you're having a real faith crisis. Right. But it's not. It's not ending. Two, do not make a rash decision. Do not make a rash decision to leave the LDS church. Do not make a mm-hmm. rash decision to run into the waiting arms of an apostate. Do not make a rash decision to go join a fundamentalist group or to go out on your own. Sit with it for a minute. Just mm-hmm. ponder it. Next, reach out to somebody. If you're in that space, reach out to me. I sure. always put my email address here. And look, here's the other thing I'm going to say. You don't want to go where I go to worship? Cool. I'm fine with that. Of course, you know, that's often at my house. And so you're also welcome to come there right. and we will feed your spirit and we will feed your body. Right. We'll have a nice meal. We had a great meal today. Yep. But, but <laughs> if, if, if that's not where you want to be, I'm good with that. But still, please, don't throw the gospel out. Mm-hmm. Please do not do that. Do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are people that I can put you in touch with where you can find a home. I can promise that. Whether that's at the same place I attend, whether that is as an independent, whether that is a different group, whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and know that... that not only does God love you, which is you should take massive, massive uh, comfort in. There are other people out there that have walked exactly where you have walked and can help get you through theirs. If not myself, I can put you in touch with someone that does. Because trust me, I know I can be grating and annoying. So I'm willing to point you in the direction of someone who's less grating and annoying. But please, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and reach out for help. Don't panic. Ben? I guess I'll end with... I'll end with... You're really going in one direction or the other. Are you adding light to the coming light? Are you adding knowledge to your knowledge? Or are you losing something? Uh, Usually people will often feel like they're losing something. For example, like you talked about tonight about the destruction of the Salt Lake Temple, it's a loss. Sometimes you have to sit with that loss. But in the end, you could also really be gaining something of great value. And what that could be is the truth, the way things really are, the way things are going to be. To me, it's really sad to think about the destruction and loss of the temples, the destruction and loss of the ordinances. It's really sad to me to think about how fast we've come to getting away from the masculine and the feminine to the point that we don't even have these, these great archetypes of the father and the mother. What is that even going to mean in religion in the coming days, to have a heavenly father, to have a heavenly mother, if we don't even have fathers and mothers anymore, if we lose our sense of, you know, of these grand forms of the creation of life, right? And so it feels like a lot to lose when we see that the direction that that the world may seem like it's headed in, that the church may seem like it's headed in. But we gain something of greater value, even in these darkest moments. 
And that is, I think, an appreciation for that which is truly eternal. You know, King Solomon's temple's gone. Now the Salt Lake Temple's next. And the temples always get destroyed. Uh, pieces of our history, pieces of who we think we are, stuff that we think we hold really sacred. Sometimes it does come and sometimes it does go. Sometimes these things die in us. And they die in our culture and our society. But something else can still survive. The eternal flame in your soul cannot be extinguished by that, right? Even though I feel like the Salt Lake Temple's gone now, I know that there's other temples. Not as grand, maybe. Not as big. But there are still other temples out in the desert. And even if there were no other temples out in the desert, there's still the temple of your own heart. And that can never be destroyed. That can never be changed. If you hold fast to that which you know is true, hell can never stop you. They can tear down the temple um, and the Lord will rebuild it. This is what Jesus was saying when he stood in the temple and he said, even if you tear down this temple, the Lord will can build it back again in three days. Because greater than the building was the Christ, the Son of God. And even in killing Jesus Christ, the devil couldn't beat him. Because he came alive again. And it's the same thing with our faith. When you go into the crucifixion of your faith, when you're going into the tomb of your faith, and you think everything is lost, the resurrection is what's next. It's still there if you just have faith. If you... If you cry out like Joseph Smith did in the in the sacred grove, you know, we often forget. We, we say, what was the first vision? People say it was when Joseph Smith saw the father and the son. He saw somebody else first. He saw the devil first. Before he saw the light, he saw the darkness. And the darkness was so powerful, he thought it would swallow him up. That he would be not just dead, he would be destroyed and he would be consumed body and spirit. And only then, in the darkness, when he cried out to God, did he see the pillar of light. Right? And so I guess that's the thing. We think that when we are in situation of doubt or in a faith crisis, we think this is the end. If only you could see that it's the beginning. It's the essential beginning of everything is to be in a faith crisis. That is where you find your faith. That's where you realize that what you had before wasn't real faith. It was just belief. And if you want real power, you have to stand up for what is right, no matter what the consequences are, even if it swallows your whole soul. And you know what you're going to find on the other end of it? Light. Light. You're going to find that pillar of light extended from heaven to you, even if you're the last man or woman on earth who seeks God. The light of God is still going to reach you in your darkness if you will just let him in. And so that's my testimony. Even, even with the Salt Lake Temple gone, I, I mourn. And I, I, I mourn for what's lost. But I still have hope. Because every temple in history has been torn down, and yet the gospel still remains. Yep. yep. And so we just have to keep on keeping on. If we're really in the winding up scenes, which I believe we are, there's going to be weeping. 
Yeah. But if there's one thing that Scripture teaches me, it's that our Father loves a dramatic ending. <laughs> right? The dramatic entrance. Right? The, right? The, the, <laughs> and and when, when it seems it's darkest. And when it seems all is lost. Put yourself in a place where you can expect miracles. Yeah. Because in that moment, miracles will happen. Yeah. And God will then make bare his arm in the eyes of all the nations, it says, right? Yep. So, yeah, the last days might seem scary. These things might seem rough. And they are. And it's okay to cry about it. It really is. Grown men should weep over such things. And yet, it's going to be okay. Yeah. The Salt Lake Temple may have been torn down. We may have temporarily gotten a stay on tearing down the Manti Temple. There was a lot of activism for that. I was somewhat involved uh, in that activism. Um, but you know what's really going to matter? Is that the Temple of the New Jerusalem will be built. Yeah. And that's that's what gives me hope. It yeah. will be built. It's not there yet, but the Temple of the New Jerusalem will be built. And Christ will come into that temple. And... All the tears will be will be washed away. Ninety nine percent of the people I think that listen to this podcast believe in in Mormonism. Here's the great thing about Mormonism: we know how this ends. That's right. We know how this ends. The millennial reign of Christ is how this ends, right? <laughs> At some point, you also had to have received a a spiritual witness. That you were on the right path. All we have to do is choose. We know who's going to win. We mm-hmm. know what it looks like in the end. All we have to do is choose to be on that side. And that would mm-hmm. be my testimony is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Breathe and take your time and reach out mm-hmm. for help. And, uh, yeah, that's that's it. Ben, dude, it's always awesome when we get to talk. Thank you. I love it. So good night, everybody. Bye, everybody. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.